Good morning, good afternoon, and good night, wherever you are, wherever you are listening to this podcast from. Uh, myself and Willie are here in the Southern California area bringing to you another great episode of Hot Takes Only. Uh, we've been off the last little little while or so, haven't been able to put a show together, just being busy with general life, but we're back, and we're talking some Premier League and baseball, and it's just a great time for, for both of those. Uh, Premier League is back doing its usual crazy thing uh, and we're getting down to the nitty-gritty baseball just over a month left in the season and Willie I want to get your thoughts before we before we get into anything really on on what you're looking for over the next three months or so uh just in general not not sports specific but just in general yeah oh I'm I'm so excited dude for this show um and you know the Premier League has been so great man so it's our first show for the season and it's fun to see kind of how our predictions played out you know exactly and I know we mentioned on the show last week, I think it was during our Premier League preview, which is our last show, we talked about, or I, I remember I I spilled a hot take that was Paul Pogba being, uh, or not Paul Pogba, sorry, Jose Mourinho being fired by the end of 2018, the calendar year. And that is looking pretty good based off today's result. Um, a couple hours ago, we matched between Brighton and Man United just ended, and... I, I got to say, I only watched the first half of that this morning after I got up, but Brighton, they weren't spectacular by any means. They were good, but United were just all over the place. I mean, it was it was horrendous, horrendous by United. Yeah, and um, well, let me ask you this, Owen. Um, on a, how concerned are you on a scale of 1 to 10 about Manchester United, you know? Uh, honestly, I'd, I'd be at about a 4 right now if I was a United fan. Um, it, it's one of those situations where you kind of know what you're going to get from Mourinho and you won't be able to beef up the squad until January. So basically everything that Mourinho has to do is, is, is use training and use his own coaching ability to get the most out of his players until they can strengthen that squad. Until then, I just don't think it can get a lot better. I mean, he talked about it recently in, in that staying within striking distance and, and ultimately finishing second last season with the squad that he has was one of his best achievements as a coach. And I was a little confused by that, but at the same time, I understand it because it, it's not a squad that, aside from, you know, your Romelu Lukaku and your Paul Pogba's and your David De Gea's, there's, there's really a whole lot. I mean, Ashley Young is a winger who played basically all year at left back. Uh, Liverpool did the same thing with James Milner but two different players. Uh, it was it was successful, yes, but it, it's just not something you can bank on long-term. Uh, but you just look at the squad, and you're not really all that convinced, If at least for me, if if you're thinking, you know, what what is this squad really going to do? What's the identity of this team? We know with Mourinho it's going to be very defensive, but at the end of the day, you can't really rely on on that when you have performances like today. So I, I don't know, going back to... Being concerned, I, I'd be at about a four out of ten right now. It, it's it's early, obviously very, very, very early in the season. There's still 36 games left, which is a lot. <laughs> but it's I don't know. I there is a concern, a a level of concern because we've seen this happen with Mourinho's teams in the past. And I want to turn this question back to you. Where would your concern be right now? You know, Owen, I I would actually. It's funny. I thought your level of concern would be higher. I'm actually at about, I would say a 5 out of 10. Um, I think that I'm not 
super concerned about this result individually because I think that Man United was really sloppy defensively. I mean, all three goals were, um, you know, unfortunately, you know, let's say we're watching the game. Um, Eric Bai and Victor Lindelof really had a, a tough day um, on the first goal. Um, you know, Lindelof and, and Bai they failed to mark Glenn Murray. Um, Bai has the third goal. He, he takes um, someone down in the box. Um, really, just poor marking around the box, um, both from the run of play and from a corner kick, and then at the end um, from um, just in, in the penalty box. And you know, I thought that overall, Man United shape, you know, as we expect, wasn't bad. It was just kind of uncharacteristically bad play from the center backs, who you know, which. A week ago, after the Leicester City performance, we were saying, you know, that was a really good start to the season. Um, what I'm really concerned about is in a game like this, right, where not every game you're going to be defensively solid, is, you know, we saw re- they really lacked ideas going forward. Um, Anthony Martial was really poor, particularly in the first half. Um, you know, Paul Pogba had kind of a quieter game, um, you know, before he scored the penalty. So I- I'm concerned that they really um, had a trouble – creating chances um so i think that's a worrying trend going forward i actually do like the new signings i like i like fred a lot i think he's very good um but yeah no i am concerned owen because you know against the higher teams like the the top teams that are going to attack you and if you give up a goal or two i'm, I'm wondering where this team is going to have ideas going forward yeah, it's funny you say that because they, the commentators uh, Arlo White and Graham Lasso today, they they made a comment. I believe it was Arlo about Martial just looking like the most disappointed person all across the pitch, and it's it's one of those things where if you are someone like Martial and you've been subject to, I wouldn't say abuse by Mourinho, but a lot of criticism, very very vocal criticism. And you were kind of touted as, as this up-and-coming prospect. You were the most expensive teenager in the world at that point in time. Obviously, who, who cares what transfers are worth at this point in time? But it's just you. there is a, a level of concern if you are Anthony Martial as far as, you know, am I stagnating my, my own career by staying here? So, I, I, you know, it, it, as weird as it would sound, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see him leave the club mm-hmm. by the end of the month. Um, I don't think it's going to happen, but I wouldn't be surprised to see it happen. And I just looked at United's fixture list. They they don't exactly have it easy uh, in their next few games, obviously with the international break after this match week. But back on the 27th, they're playing Tottenham uh, at Old Trafford. Then mm-hmm. they go to Burnley the week after, and they get Watford away as well. And then the Wolves, they get Wolves at home on the 22nd. So, I mean, realistically... Given the two performances against Leicester and and today against Brighton, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see them get maybe three points from those four games because it, it's just you, you think of okay Tottenham look really good and we'll get to Tottenham in a second. Um, Burnley are defensively stout as always. It's it's mm-hmm. you know two very stylistically similar teams. Watford have been surprisingly good through two games this year. You know, obviously we're talking with tiny sample sizes, but Watford have been pretty good so far this year. And then Wolves, who obviously we saw on opening day their their two two draw against Everton, and kind of the way they fought back and and you know it's I don't know. I feel like it might be it might be a little rough stretch for United early in the season. And the silver lining, I guess, if you want to 
think about it that way, is that this is all happening this early in the season. There's still a long time left to correct it. But there is there is definitely a level of concern if you are uh, if you are a Man United fan. And I know that's, you know... Well, let me ask you this, Mourinho was brought in to win trophies, and he hasn't really delivered the, the big one, the Premier League, the Champions League. Absolutely. He, he's really under pressure right now, you know, and, and people talk about how when you play the style of soccer, you know, if you're not winning, you know, you're going to be in trouble as a manager. And, and I'm curious, Owen, you know, watching their first two performances, albeit, like you said, it's a small sample size, but are you more concerned about the attack or, or the de- defense, you know? I'm concerned because about the defense. We, yeah, because we talked about, you know, like we said, you know, Mourinho's teams, we talked about on our previous show, they always have solid center backs. And today, their center backs were extremely poor. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah, yeah sorry, that's 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 what Mourinho was brought in to do is you, you know what you're going to get from him. It, it can be kind of boring at times, but it's going to be very pragmatic, very defense first, and, and then worry about worry about goal scoring after. I mean, they, they had a stellar defensive record last year. They didn't concede more than three goals, or they didn't concede three goals in any fixture last year, and that includes playing Manchester City, who scored, it It feels like they scored five or six goals on everyone last year. Uh, they they held them to pretty pretty modest uh, numbers as far as goals goals scored against. So it's it's definitely the the defense for, for United. I mean, they... They're not going to be, you know, they're they're not going to score no goals in every single game this year. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not going to be kept off the score sheet. They have enough attacking talent to, to get by. Mm-hmm. It's just that when you have a manager who emphasizes the the defensive tactics so much, sure. and the players get it wrong, then you're then you should be concerned. I, I don't think the attack is it's you know it's it's not going to be the Liverpool's or the Manchester Cities of the yeah. league or even the Tottenham's, but. It, their defenses have to be better than they were today, and and it's individual errors. It's it's the manager inspiring confidence. It's just a it's just a bunch of different problems with United. That said, it is also, you know, the second match week of thirty eight. So it not it's mm-hmm. not time to panic yet, but it's it's getting there. Do you are you a fan of the new signings, the two signings, Pereira um, and Fred? Um, I thought Pereira has he showed potential, but I, I don't know if he. He's young. He's young. He, 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 he is time. young. I, but I don't. I just don't know if he is maybe the answer in the middle of the park that they that they kind of need. He could develop into that answer, but I'm not sure. Fred, on the other hand, I'm still a little confused as to what we're supposed to expect out of him because he's supposed to be a, a, a I believe a really solid attacking midfielder. Right. But he's he's shown like he's almost played. Closer to a box-to-box midfielder with a, a, a bigger emphasis on on man marking and defense and kind of breaking up play, right. which you know obviously every player should be able to do that, but I just don't feel like he w- he is doing what he was signed to do. And again, right. that all goes back to the manager and the way Mourinho sets up his team. Yeah, and it's like you said, on he 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 makes forward runs, you know, and at times he looks really good. But like you said, it, it's kind of the same thing with Pogba. It's like what. What responsibilities do you want them to have, you know? And it's like, you can't... It's hard to see both those players who are good attacking players, you know, stymied like that, you know, having to sit, you know, in front of front of the back four, you know? Um, so it's going to be... It's just going to be very interesting to watch. And, you know, not only is there discontent with Martial, there's discontent with Rashford. So, mm-hmm. 
you know, there, there's a lot to be to be seen with this Man United team. And I'm not overly concerned, but, you know, Manchester United really could have used a couple wins early in the season to stymie me the kind of negative attention they were getting. Exactly. And they didn't get it. Yeah, if they would have started off well, I think they'd be fine. But the fact of the matter is that they've they've started with three points through two games. One of the games was a solid performance. The other was abysmal. And mm-hmm. it's you don't really know what to make of it. You know, Again, back to the small sample size, you can't really say definitively what we're going to see yet. But I think at the end of the day, there, you have to be thinking about, okay, what are we going to? Ex- what should we expect out of out of a team like Man United, who have invested so much money in the squad since Mourinho came in? And it's funny with it's just with Mourinho talking about wanting to get new signings. The two signings that he brought into the club since he joined, Bai and Lindelof, they both played today. They were both horrendous. Yep. So it it doesn't matter if you sign four or five center backs. It's up to the manager to get the most out of them. And so far, at least based on today's performance, he didn't do that. Maybe he did it on opening day. I don't know, but. It's, it's, this is just, it, it was, it's shocking. And, you know, we talk mm-hmm. about Manchester United as kind of the elite of the elite in, in world football. And we didn't see that today. Not, not at all. And, and I guess one, one quick point I do want to make on, on uh, Man United too, is like you said, I'm, I am more concerned about the defense, but um, Romelu Lukaku last season and through the world cups played a lot of games. I mean, they need, he, I just wonder if, you know, he had such a stellar season last year. And I just wonder that, you know, like, again, he scored today, if they're going to be able to rely on him to get steady goal production, you know? And, and it's the funny thing because Mourinho is, he has attacking talent at his disposal. We talked about Martial and Rashford already. Yeah. He has those players at his disposal, so he can afford to give Lukaku a rest. But he doesn't trust Martial and he doesn't trust Rashford for some reason. And that... That's a problem when you have two of the most promising young players in Europe, in at least in the attacking sense, soccer. and they're yep. not they're not playing at all. It, it's it's down to the manager. The manager just doesn't trust him, and and you you can't afford to do that if if you are Jose Mourinho because you realize that attacking players they they see the way they play and they go I could either go play for Manchester United, yes, one of the biggest clubs in the world, but I've been playing for Jose Mourinho. Or I could go play at a club like, say, Manchester City or Spurs or Liverpool or even yep. Chelsea now, the new Chelsea, and, yep. or even Arsenal. Any of the top five, any other top six, plus a bunch of squads around Europe who are who put more of a premium on attacking talent. So it, it's 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 just a, a problem that Mourinho created for himself, and yep. it's I I don't know. The concern definitely is there, but it's not where I guess. Yeah, it could be yet. Although, you, you know, it's just you know to wrap it up. It's it's when you hear players like Pogba talking about, oh, you know, I don't want to say this because I I don't want to get fined. Like exactly, you, you get, that's a real red flag right there. Yeah, you know. Yeah, and when, you just you sense so much discontent in the dressing room. And normally you'd say, okay, this was just a bad day. They had uncharacteristic defensive errors. Eric Bai is going to be a lot better. He's like their best defender. But you know, with all the the, the Mourinho third year kind of curse and the discontent you hear in the locker room, you know, I think this could really turn on the manager here real quickly. Yeah, so they're going to have to uh, figure something out. Uh, speaking of teams that are still figuring things out, Arsenal and Chelsea uh, played just an absolute cracking game yesterday. Chelsea mm-hmm. 3, Arsenal 2 is the final result. Yep. And uh, we saw 
a different Chelsea than we've seen in the past. We saw a different Absolutely. Arsenal than we've seen in the past. Mm-hmm. And we saw great finishes, good goals, and just missed sitters, mostly by Arsenal. I mean, it, it, yeah. I, I watched that game, and if you ask me who should have won, it Arsenal should have won that game comfortably. Absolutely. By at least five or six goals to three. I mean, they, they created chance after chance after right. chance. Um, they let themselves expose to the back, but you know when you commit m- numbers forward like they did, mm-hmm. that's going to happen. Uh, but just the 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 chances they missed. I mean, you think Aubameyang sure. missed two. Aubameyang missed a couple. Mkhitaryan missed a couple, even though he scored yep. a, a pretty solid goal himself. Um, although on his on his first goal, mm-hmm. I think, uh, or his goal, I think right. uh, Keppa could have done a lot. If, better. if Lacazette makes the bad pass, exactly the Chelsea third goal, and and there's just you know it, it's a work in progress. And I was actually talking to my brother yesterday. And he was saying we had him on the show a couple weeks ago, and he said, you know, he he'd be okay with uh, a poor season this year if it's the first one of a few, if it's you know the beginning of mm-hmm. a few successful seasons. And I, I I'd agree with that, but at the same time, it's it it there's something going on with with some of the attacking players at Arsenal. Um, mm-hmm. I think Mesut Ozil was disappointing as well. Uh, poor, one of the really most, poor. One of the most talented. Yep. players in in Europe but the work rate just wasn't there. Hector right. Bellerin had a pretty terrible game. Um he he just wasn't great up and down the pitch. I don't know if he's lacking for fitness or if he's just psychologically not right. I mean it's going to take time for Arsenal to get over this, but they they did show some promise. Now whether or not that's down to Chelsea being more attacking minded and being a little more open at the back, I'm not sure. But uh it, it was a really exciting game either way. And I want to get your thoughts on it cuz I know you're a big Chelsea fan. Yeah. So just as a whole, I mean, Hazard coming on, that sure. really seemed to make the difference in the game. But but what, what were your thoughts on, on just the way Chelsea played for the whole 90? Yeah. Um, well, to be honest with you, um, my thought and in, in kind of the comment- commentary said it best. Um, I thought that both teams showed a lot of promise. You can clearly tell they're going through transitions with different style of play. It was a very exciting game, yet, you know, <laughs> defending at times was optional in that game, you know. <laughs> Both teams were really exposed. Um, Arsenal is getting completely overrun in the midfield. Um, you know, like we talked about, you know, lots to be made of guys like Ozil and Grant Xhaka really, you know, having – exposing weaknesses there. And, and on the Chelsea end, really getting exposed in wide areas. You know, like they said, they missed some sitters. That, that left-hand side, you know, Marcus Alonso made a couple – you know, he could have been tighter to the players, both in the box and on the wing – and but he also didn't have enough cover, so I was encouraged by the attacking play of both teams. Even though, like you said, Arsenal should have scored, the I, the chances were there for both teams. Just a, there's a lot to be said about the, the work that both teams need to do defensively to really get to where they want to go. Yeah, and that, and that'll be an issue this year. And I remember we talked about in our our preview. We talked about uh, I think most of us thought Chelsea and Arsenal would both finish outside the top. four. Four, mm-hmm. but I don't know. There's a lot of promise there, and, and again, it is a long season, so it's it, it'd be a big call to see either one of those teams. I, I think it. I think you know, based off what we saw this early in the season, one of them could definitely still make top four. Uh, Absolutely, I, I don't think it's likely that both will, but I, I think there's a good chance at least one of them will. Um, now then again, that's down to how Spurs and United do, and right. and you know Spurs look like a really good team so far. They Harry do. Kane finally scored Absolutely. in August for for the first time in his career, mm-hmm. um, and you know there's a lot to be encouraged 
by if you're a Chelsea or Arsenal fan, but there's a lot to be disappointed with, and I, I think that's just going to be it's just going to be one of those seasons for for those teams, which you know, barring a slip up for Manchester City, leaves the door open for a team like Liverpool or Spurs to to hop in there and and make a run at the title. That said, City looked ridiculous today. Yeah, uh, just the the. The way they dismantled Huddersfield, I mean, they didn't—they didn't look like they were doing anything out of the unusual. I mean, it just looked like a classic City performance. But they had Benjamin Mendy, who they missed all of last season, who was phenomenal all game, um, bombing up and down the left wing, putting crosses in the box, and uh, Jesus played well. Aguero with his hat trick. Um, Sané got a goal, or Sané forced an own goal at the end. Um, You know, did most of the work. Mm -hmm. Really could have been credited for the goal, regardless. And it's, you know, people are talking about if City's going to slip up this year. I just, based on two games, I just don't know if that's going to happen. Yeah, um, you know, people are talking about, you know, with the Kevin De Bruyne injury, you know, how big a deal is it considering, you know, he's one of the best players in the world. I think if there's anything we learned from these two games, they certainly have, you know, more than enough attacking talent, you know, um, to to succeed. And, um, you know... They've got a lot. They still have a lot of good players in the middle of the park, and I think the big thing for them too is just, you know, they do play very open, but they figured out how to 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 play like that. You know what I mean? And just when you watch Chelsea and, and Arsenal, they haven't quite figured it out yet. You know, mm-hmm. they try to pressure, but there's a lot of holes there. So yeah, I I don't think Manchester City is going to slip up at all, and you know I don't want to make you know too much of a judgment just from two games, but. From what I've seen um, this year, it's going to be a very exciting season, but it looks to me like a two-horse race between Liverpool and Man City. And and it's almost like with with Mendy specifically, he's like a new signing. Uh, right. You look at the way he's been able to give City a dimension down the left side. He, I mean, he's he's a natural left back. Uh, Danilo, who That's played right. a lot of left back last season, is uh, right back by trade. Uh, Fabian Delft's a midfielder by trade, but That's right. played pretty solid left backs for for City as well. And 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 part of it's also down to the way Guardiola uses his fullbacks. I mean, he uses yep. them almost like midfielders. Every, um, it's incredible, dude. When when I remember in the, in, you know watching the the Arsenal game, and you know it's incredible. Like Sterling's going left hand side, and Mendy will tuck into the middle to create space, and it's just so fun to watch. You know. Like, yeah. they'll go everywhere. Yeah. They'll and go they'll, everywhere. They'll create those overloads in the midfield. And I actually watched a bit of a tactical breakdown with Kyle Walker on Sky Sports um, from a couple weeks ago. Yeah. From, it was, I believe it was from before the start of the season. And he talked about playing uh, not basically on the touchline. Um, it, was, it was actually really good to have Gary Neville there because, you know, obviously Gary Neville really accomplished fullback for United back in the day. Um as opposed to playing basically on the touchline, Kyle Walker kind of plays, you know, parallel or basically in line with the edge of the 18 uh, right. going up and down the pitch. And, and that was pretty insightful because it's it's it gives you a look into how Guardiola uses his fullbacks. I mean, he uses them almost like center mids and, and right. you know, more wingers. That leaves them more vulnerable to back, yes, but when you score that many goals week in and week out, I mean, it, it, it almost doesn't matter. The only concern would be if if they get stifled, uh, how they deal with that. But they they proved that last season, you know how they mm-hmm. deal with teams that really pack it in and have you know sure. your two banks of four, uh, basically almost banks of five, defend really solidly and and just focus on that. 
they showed the ability to break that down last season, but whether or not they'll be able to do it this year is is going to define whether or not they win the title. Um, I, you know, they're obviously heavy favorites, and you know their closest challengers probably Liverpool or Spurs. Uh, it, it's 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 really hard to imagine a situation where where City is you know they they don't they where they make a huge just run of horrible mm-hmm. results. It could happen, but it's it's just again through two games, small sample size. But it's really hard to see right now. Um, it and you know when you're a team that's already strong in the attack and you mm-hmm. go out and get Riyad Mahrez, that only right. makes you stronger. And he's really going to help them. And he's, he's already good. he's already been good so far this year. And mm-hmm. I, you know Bernardo Silva too. Yeah, they, I don't think they're going to miss De Bruyne uh, as much as maybe people think people. they are. I think they'll be they'll be a okay as is. So. Well, let me ask you, though, and I mean, you were talking about how they have trouble against team packing, and, you know, they also had trouble with a team like Liverpool, who likes to press high. So what do you think is the best formula for the other top teams, you know, to, to beat them, you know? Um, because, you know, you look at, you know, I guess if you press well, certainly Chelsea and Arsenal at the moment don't look like they can do it, you know? Chelsea, sure, they got a clean sheet in the first game, but that was against Huddersfield Town, who scored the least goals of any team in the Premier League last season, you know? So what do you think is the best way for a team to attack them? Because, you know, if you really pack it in like today, you're going to lose (laughs) 6-1. So, you know, I don't know if there's a right answer, but I'm curious your thoughts. No, it's it's tough. And there's a couple ways that that teams have found uh, they can can kind of get at City. And it's it's not so much... You know, sitting back and playing on the counterattack, more so, you know, picking your spots when to press. Um, and I think what Liverpool do really well is they have um, they have a manager who who understands both how to press and when to press. Um, you know, mm-hmm. it's one thing to run or have your front players and your midfielders run around the pitch chasing after the ball, um, but a team as as good with with the ball as as Manchester City is basically at every position. It's it's gonna be you're just gonna tie yourself out first and then they hit you on the they just hit you when you least expect it and all of a sudden you're down two three nil, but I think what what Klopp has instilled in his players and this is something he started back at Dortmund was um, a, the counter press. So yep. basically, how I understand the counter press and you know feel free to correct me if I'm wrong um, mm. if you're listening and you know exactly about soccer uh, you you know better soccer tactics than I do. Counter pressing is basically just pressing when you lose the ball. Correct. Um, it's, it's not pre- It's not so much just pressing when you don't have it. It's pressing when you lose that, it. That swarm um, of people. To, exactly, to and it's it's you. when it's it's not allowing teams to string passes together. So it's it's kind of cutting off their you know their supply lines, if you will. If you if you remember watching Liverpool against City back in January, the the first time City lost in the league, uh, Liverpool were. I mean, Emre Chan was just he was breaking up every single pass. It looked yep. like for. Plugging up the gap, city, and it just it just constantly up and down the pitch. You were it was a pass here that wouldn't get through, a pass there that wouldn't work, um, and then we saw it again in the Champions League in the first like an Anfield where City found it really hard to to just string anything together. Uh, mm-hmm. So that's definitely one way. It's but it's it's something that's very hard to do, and you have to spend a lot of time in training, um, and that's something Liverpool do spend a lot of time in training doing which means they don't spend as much time defensively, uh, which can leave them vulnerable. And that's kind of the whole, you know, why Liverpool struggles defensively at times. Obviously, with bringing in Virgil van Dijk, they've kind of fixed mm-hmm. that in the emergence of Andrew Robertson and Trent right. Alexander-Arnold um, and, and Lovren being more comfortable. But 
it's just it's a lot of it's it's a tough thing to do and if it was easy then Guardiola wouldn't have a job he wouldn't be as successful as he is but just he is he's very tactically astute and I think that that shows up everywhere I mean it, it Klopp has the best record of any active manager against Guardiola and it's still you know it's still pretty even um it's uh, Klopp has the edge obviously but mm-hmm. it's 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 tough to do um before we move on there there is one weakness I did notice with Man City okay and it is their vulnerability at times on set pieces we saw against right. Manchester United in in the 3-2 uh, Manchester derby earlier this year we saw United score pretty much all of their goals off set pieces or kind of counterattacking equivalents and I want to get your thoughts on this because I am still not convinced by how solid City's players individually are defensively. It's more so the way they play with the ball and that they defend with the ball, if that makes sense. So I just want to get your thoughts on on their just individual defending because I'm not sold on player on every player, every defender outside of company. Absolutely agree. And first of all, you know he's got to stay healthy. Um, yeah, you know there's a it's it's an interesting philosophy. Um, you know it's. It, Look what happened to, um, you know, when Liverpool played West Ham, right? And Manuel Pellegrini's talking about, I'm going to defend with the ball, you know, and look how that turned out. Um, so first of all, with regards to the set pieces, I think it's a big, I think it's a big issue, Owen. Um, one team that immediately comes to mind that ex- can just exploit that off the top of my head is Tottenham. You know, you look at Kieran Trippier taking his free kicks or Dobson Sanchez in the, like, they're really good on corners. Um so that is definitely one area that teams should really try to um, exploit Man City in. Um, and then, yes, um, I just think with – and then with regards to what you said about, you know, uh, Manchester City, you know, I'm not sold on them def- – their defensive players either. Um, there's a lot of pressure on Fernandinho to do his job. And um, they just play so open, Owen, that, you know, like you said, a team – at the right day, could really catch him wrong, you know? And um, I think I think that's masked against when they have just so much possession, you know? But I, I think it's a big concern. Yeah, and, and the thing that kind of bothered me last season was when people were talking about how good Manchester City were defensively. Uh, it, it was more so the thing that bothered me the fact is the fact that they were scoring so right. many goals and still conceding a handful. Um, right. And people were talking about like, oh, they're, you know, it, it doesn't matter if you're not good yeah. defensively or if you're not, if you're, you know, poor defensively, if you're scoring a lot of goals. Whereas that same line was being twisted the opposite way with Liverpool saying, oh, I don't know if they can keep this up scoring just as many goals. They have to be good defensively as well. Right. The difference obviously is in the fact that City won the title right. doing the exact same thing. But it's that same line of crypt of thinking that it's it's kind of hypocritical when it applies one when way it, for a certain manager works, and another for another. Yeah. And it, it just drives me nuts when people talk about Guardiola that way because it's, it's yes, he has this idea and he's obviously proven his ability as a manager at Barcelona and at Bayern Munich, but it's just, it, it drives me nuts when people use the mm-hmm. same lines of thinking with him as other managers and other managers get more flack than he does Whereas he has a higher net spend, he has had better squads. Mm-hmm. I mean, in every cup final, Klopp has That's been. Right. His team has been the underdog in every single one. Every single one. Every single one of those teams were underdogs. Yep. So of course he's going to have a losing record in those cup finals. I mean, there's only a certain point sure. where you know you can have a true underdog 
kind of go all the way. But it's it's just tough to have that. And it's it you know sure. I'll, I'll well, kind of cut it off before I get too you know. And, and I guess I just want to make two quick points with what you're saying, which I think are really interesting. Um, number one is you know I I think we're Man City. I'm not definitely not sold on them defensively. I think what can kind of mask uh, their deficiencies is that they're so good. You were just I mean you were talking about it earlier with pressing and counter pressing. You know they swarm the ball. Gabriel Jesus works so hard up top. Their midfield works so hard to get the ball. Um, so they apply so much pressure, and that kind of doesn't allow teams to get comfortable. Whereas if you look at, at teams, particularly like an Arsenal, where you know there's just no defensive pressure at times. You know Chelsea could just walk right through the middle of the park at times. You know David Luiz could take the ball, and there's absolutely no one challenging him. You know, um, and the other thing I want to say too, you know, is when I case with with um, Liverpool was last season, and you you you've you're an expert in Liverpool, so, you know, chime in was. Um, I don't even think it's much of a systematic issue. It's more that, you know, and we talked about deficiencies. Liverpool made a lot of individual errors, and that's something that's, you know, not really a systematic issue. It just comes down to, you know, can your goalkeepers and defenders avoid making mistakes? But when you have problems in the past at the centre-back position and with the goalkeeper position, that's almost unavoidable. It doesn't matter what position, you know, it doesn't matter if you play a pressing system like Liverpool or you play like a, like a team like Manchester United today, you know, if you have issues at, at the back, teams are going to score on you. So I almost think it was more with Liverpool last season, almost the case where there's a lot of individual errors too. Yeah. And, and before we move on, the one thing with Liverpool is, is they've, they've kind of cut down on this, the lack of a, a mental strength. Um, yep. And it, for me, it really all goes back to Virgil van Dijk. I mean, he he is the sure. guy that Klopp has been targeting since June of 2017. Absolutely. They get a full season of him. Exactly, they get a full season of Van Dyke to really command the defense. I think he should be given the captain's armband, um, but that's just me. You know, I, I just think he he offers more as a captain than Henderson. Um, you know, obviously it doesn't take away from what Henderson has done as captain, but I just feel like someone with Van Dyke's presence, uh, both vocally on and off the pitch. I think he he would give you a little more than than Henderson, but going back to that, I mean he's added so much stability to the team. I mean he is, we we had we saw a player in Dayon Lovren last season who was just in shambles. I mean he was taken sure. off after 25 minutes at Wembley against Tottenham because he was just all over the place. He made two huge errors that led to right. two goals. That's right. And Klopp finally had enough of him and just took him off. Mm-hmm. Now with the emergence uh, with the addition of of. Van Dyke, we've seen a different Lovren who had a fantastic World Cup and helped Croatia all the way to the final. I mean, this is not an accident what what Van Dyke has done for this team's defensive kind of mm-hmm. both actual He's so solid. on the his this actual strength on the pitch and just the mental toughness. Like I'm gonna lead us defensively, I'm gonna organize us, and I'm gonna make sure we are doing what we're supposed to do. And and for me, you you know. Obviously, they paid a huge sum for that, but you're seeing it pay dividends already. And, you know, you saw it basically from his first game against Everton. All I mean, he's he's been rock solid every single game. And I don't At think he's put all. a foot wrong since he's since he stepped, stepped onto the pitch in a Liverpool shirt. I, I just don't think he has. Again, I'm, I'm biased, so, it, you know, take that how you will. But Van Dijk has made all the difference as far as Liverpool cutting out a lot of the individual errors. Uh, at least, you know, for outfield players. I can't say the same for, for Karius, unfortunately. But What about Gomez? Do you like Gomez? I I think Gomez is still 
a prospect. He's not ready to mm-hmm. be a full-time partner with Van Dyke. I think once Lovren comes back, he will he will slot right back in um, on that on that left side, that left center back role, or I believe it's he I believe he plays right center back. Um, because Gomez is, you know, for as good and as talented as he is, you know, obviously very, very physically strong, uh, reads the game well, isn't afraid mm-hmm. to get stuck into a challenge. But, I mean, just, just seeing the way he kind of reads the game at, at times, he just switches off a little bit and, and tries mm-hmm. to, to make a rash decision to recover, and it doesn't always come off. I mean, the one example that always comes to mind for me as far as his development as a player, obviously he was playing right back. But it was when uh, Liverpool played City at Anfield, uh, when Walker hits a 40-yard diagonal to Sané, uh, Gomez just makes a hash of it, trying to read the ball, yeah. trying to intercept, trying to play close to Sané. And, you know, once Leroy Sané gets in behind, it's pretty much guaranteed goal. Could Carries could have maybe done better at the near post, but Sané put a lot into that into that shot. So I, I don't think it's... it's I think it's a little harsh to, to blame that on Carries. Sure. Um, I think it, it's you know, and Klopp will say this over and over in his, pref- his press conferences. You know, this is this is very much a team effort. This is not down to an individual player. Right. This is a collective. Uh, the move could have been stopped uh, mm-hmm. when Kyle Walker hits the diagonal. I, you think of a lot of other instances, even the Champions League final. Bale could have been closed down when he shot from from twenty five out, but he was he was given the freedom to shoot and. Unfortunately, Carrius makes the mistake. Um, it, it's just a lot of these things can be attributed to kind of where the team was at the time of the beginning of that attacking move, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's, it's you know, it's, sure. it's a little harsh to, to say it's, it's unequivocally an individual error. Sure. But again, this goes back to adding players like Van Dyke who have really shored that up. And, you know, Allison is going to be another step in that. It, Huge. You know, it's not really, you know, it's it's not so much the you know, he's going to be the Manuel Neuer or the David De Gea or just the unequivocal best goalkeeper in, in the world. It's more so he's going to provide this calmness that we never really saw with Karius, even though the talent is there. I mean, you don't get voted second best keeper in Germany yeah. behind Manuel Neuer for a reason. That's not an accident. I mean, he, he's a very solid, promising keeper. I mean, he's, you got to remember, he's only 25, 26 years old. I mean, he's still a very young player. Goalkeepers don't usually hit their prime until they're their late twenties, early thirties. And they can play in their forties. Exactly. So it's it's one of those things where you kinda have to kind of take with a grain of salt. Um, but at the end of the day, I think Liverpool have have fixed a lot of their weaknesses and they've added sure. to their strengths as well. Uh, and, and, and yeah. You know, hopefully yeah. they can they can sustain a title challenge, unlike in years past, remember Klopp's first full season, uh, Liverpool were in first place for a couple weeks in in November, and then we saw what happened in January that year, and sure. that that was uh, that was ugly. You know, just going off, you know, what you're saying, and and kind of the first game, it really does seem like they fixed a lot of their weaknesses mentally and and personnel wise. You know, uh, Naby Keita looks incredible. I mean, he 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 looks really good. Um, but yeah, and I just think it's it's the case of you know it looks really good. Um, you know, West Ham, I think, was a really bad matchup for Liverpool. You know, they restructured their whole team. They, you know, they brought in Felipe Anderson and Wilshere. And, you know, with all these attacking players and the way they're playing open, you know, Liverpool, you know, I, I thought should have won, was going to win that game by a lot. Um, but, you know, I, I think in the in the coming weeks, we're going to learn more. But they, they sure seem like they're on the right track, Owen. They, they really do. Yeah, and... and- 
again, I mentioned this a couple weeks ago. I, I've been really, really excited about the Nabi Keita signing since oh, it was. What announced. are your thoughts on him? I, I, I mean, I, I got a jersey with his name for for that specific mm-hmm. reason. I mean, I usually don't get the the kind of star players on jerseys because I, I don't know, I might be a hipster for that reason or something like that. But I got his because I've seen him play in Germany, and he really is one of the one of the brightest talents in the midfield in Europe. Uh, it's it's funny. Klopp made this comment where he he actually said he doesn't know what Nabi Keita's biggest strength is. And that is only a compliment when you have a player who had the performance he did all throughout preseason and in that first game against West Ham. So he he is going to be the difference maker this year for Liverpool because you think of the players in Liverpool's midfield, at least at the end of last season. Emery Chan was out for a, a lot of the season, yep. played 20 minutes at the end of the Champions League final, uh, and and was kind of their, you know, their best technical talent. Mm-hmm. Uh, outside of obviously Coutinho, uh, Felipe Coutinho, who left mm-hmm. in January, and then you think of players like Georgina Wijnaldum and sure. Jordan Henderson and James Milner, and these guys who are workhorse mm-hmm. players. They'll give you a lot physically, but technically not mm-hmm. as much. Kita is a little bit of both. He has right. that technical ability. He's not gonna, you know, he's not gonna go dribble mm-hmm. five or six players at once. But he has that dribbling ability, and he also has the physical work rate. He does and. The, the tenacity to try to win the ball back like an Angola Conte, which, he does is, why, on both which he does is why what I said a couple weeks ago, it still kind of resonates with me because it's 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 the fact that he brings a little bit of both this defensive Every- kind of hunt the ball down, win it back in midfield and start the play, but it's also he has the creative ability to it's keep incredible. that play going and be a part of the attacking mm-hmm. attacking moves. Yeah. Uh, he I mean, oh, and he does it on both ends, and he's so fun to watch, and he's quick and – you know, and, and, you know, we haven't seen – I mean, it's one game, but, you know, I think when Fabinho is going to be a big signing too. Um, I, don't, I don't think I just, Fabinho – sorry, I don't think Fabinho is going to be a regular in the squad until October. I mean, I think okay. it's going to it's gonna take a while for him to get used to the way Liverpool play, but once he starts playing, he's going to be a hard one to knock off the team sheet. I mean, he, you know, he's obviously a really quality player and Liverpool rate him really highly, but we saw this with Andrew Robertson last season. He didn't get into the squad regularly until October, but once he was in the squad – he, he he is he is really hard to move him out of the way. And, and Moreno's thinking, God, what do I have to do to get be- to, to win the starting <laughs> job over this guy? And it's just Klopp is creating that culture with the squad where it's, you know, he, he, he said this repeatedly. It's if if you're unhappy about playing time, get better. You show me that you deserve to play. And, sure. and that's the kind of ruthlessness that a team challenging for the title really, really needs to have. So just up and down for Liverpool, I'm just excited about about where the team's headed. Regardless of whether or not they win a trophy this year, I think it's a step in the right direction. Mm-hmm. Um, people are saying, obviously, this is kind of the year that they expect to see some silverware. And, you know, it's it's going to be tough, but it, it'll, it, it looks better than it has in recent years, at least for Liverpool. And, and some of my friends who are Liverpool fans, we've talked about this in, in a group chat. It's, mm-hmm. it's We're all really excited about this, and, and this is probably the most – well-founded optimism yeah. to, to ever surround this team. So in summation, I just want to quickly get your thoughts on, I, I agree. Oh, and I, I think, first of all, I think Fabinho, once he becomes a regular in the team, you know, it'll take time, like you said, but, but pro- till October or so, but he's going to be regular and I'm very optimistic about this team. So, you know, he's going to be got to really plug up the gaps and just, you know, strong tackling and toughness. So, who who will be who's your ideal midfield three? You know, ideally it, in this yeah. midfield, it's um, it's Nabi Keita. Obviously, I think he's the first yeah. one in the midfield on the team sheet. Mm-hmm. 
uh, Fabinho, once Fabinho mm-hmm. kind of, you know, adapts his style to the Liverpool style. Um, and then ultimately, Jorginho Wijnaldum, I think, as well. Because I think as much as you need, as much as you need someone who's technically gifted, um, like Keita, and mm-hmm. kind of physically break out the play like Fabinho, you need a player who's kind of this just physical work rate, right. work really hard on and off the ball. Um, and Wijnaldum is just one of those players. Now, right. does that mean that... that Henderson isn't the first name on the team sheet, even though he's captain. I don't know. And it's a really tough one because he's, you know, he's the leader of this team. He obviously gives you a lot uh, as far as just recycling possession and short passing and occasionally hit a long ball over the top. But I just think that Liverpool could do a little better as far as as far as having a a more dynamic midfield. And I think he takes away from that a little bit. There's, you know, the biggest criticism with Henderson is that sometimes he slows play down. And I I think that without Henderson, they play a little quicker, although sometimes it can leave him a little vulnerable, but that's why Liverpool went out and signed Fabinho. And that's why we're so excited that Kisa's finally here. So it's, it, those holes kind of get filled. So we're not as reliant on someone to, you know, to keep the ball moving like Henderson. And right, right. It's not as, you know, not as much we're going to get in his face for slowing the play down. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how Liverpool plays against Palace because obviously we saw under yep. Roy Hodgson, they were a team that did like to pack it in against some of the bigger clubs. Mm-hmm. Um, and they flustered Liverpool for 80, 85-odd minutes yep. last year until Salah scored uh, pretty late on. It'll be interesting to see how they approach this tomorrow. So, obviously, that the last game of, of the match week. So, I don't know. It's There's... There's a lot to be said about Liverpool so far, but until they really go out and prove it, they, you know, there's no real reason for, uh, you know, no reason not to temper expectations. So hold off on the on the the giddiness for now. But you know, come October, November, if they really start to look like they're going to challenge City, then you know, mm-hmm. then then we start going going a little bonkers for it. But I, I, absolutely. Until then, uh, I just want to get to a couple of the other teams in in the Mm -hmm. league before we move on to our set our our other big topic which is baseball Mm -hmm. today um a couple other results um Mm -hmm. we talked about this earlier but tottenham do again look like uh, another team who could challenge city for the title that's right um whether or not they spurs it i don't know it just seems like a really you know it it just they've they've spurs it a lot recently um (laughs) for for lack of a better word i'm sorry but they they spurs it um, their new stadium, I think, not being done is going to be a little unsettling, but not yep. the end of the world. Obviously, they played at Wembley last year, and, and you know they still had a, a pretty solid season, even if they didn't win any trophies. Um, so definitely one to watch as well. And then Everton, I you know I hardly give yeah. Everton any love, but they've they've shown at least sure. through through two games that they have at least a lot of potential. Um, they have two pacey wingers now, and Richarlison and, and Walcott, who both got on the score sheet yep. against. Um, mm-hmm. Who did they play yesterday? Why am I blanking on this? Oh, they played the uh, yeah. Actually, who did they play? <laughs> I forgot. Two. I had this. I had this written down, and uh, it, this just looks all kinds of bad. Oh, they played Southampton. Southampton. That's right. And and Danny Ings. Good to good to see him get yep. on the score sheet um, yeah. after just a really tortured few years at Liverpool, um, mostly yeah. down to just the the you uh, know, situation. You know, what? it's interesting to to, to those two teams. You know, first with Spurs, what you're saying first. You know, first they've been notoriously slow starters under Pochettino, so it's good to um, get two wins, albeit against Newcastle and Fulham, not two of the stronger teams, but two wins nonetheless. Um, you know, 
I do think over the course of, of two competitions, um, the fact that they didn't bring anyone in over the season could be a problem. But Owen, if they are able to, if they don't lose anybody else, um, if they're able to particularly keep Alderweireld and, and Danny Rose, um, and you know, uh, we know how good Harry Kane is. Lucas Mora has been added to the score sheet. Deli Ali looks resurgent. He kind of had a, a tough year last year. Maybe we're overlooking Tottenham a little bit. No, I mean, sure, I would still say Man, Man City and, and Liverpool are the favorites, but maybe the fact that you know they're not undergoing a transition. And and the fact that they they look pretty solid in really all all facets of, of the game, um, maybe we're just overlooking them just a little bit. Yeah, and it's it's one of those things where it's you know it's easy to get on a team that didn't make any signings, but at the same time, what they had last year worked pretty well. I mean, albeit they didn't have any silverware to show for it, um, but it's you know there you think about it. There's only really four chances to win silverware a year. Uh, three if you're if you're not in Europe, so it's it's one of those situations where it it is easy to overlook them, but I don't think we should. And uh, yeah. you know, I, I think it'll be it'll be definitely something to keep an eye on as far as just how they're able to deal with the you know they don't have the deepest squad in the world. So once they get to you know the FA Cup runs and the the uh, the Carabao Cup or whatever it's called now, mm-hmm. uh, and then obviously the Champions League. Uh, it, it'll be interesting to see how they handle that and how they can deal with kind of those four competitions uh, and, sure. and having the squad to deal with that. Um, but for now, uh, it, it works. Um, Liverpool kind of had the same flack last year uh, for not signing sure. a defender, obviously with the whole Van Dyke situation. Um, but ultimately, right. they, they ended up in a, a decent spot making that deep run of the Champions League final. So it's it's doable. I think they'll be okay, uh, but they they will, in my opinion, definitely need to stru- to strengthen strengthen the squad in, in January. Yeah, there's just something to be said for you know, and like you said, we'll see. But there's something to be said for um, just you know, yesterday, for example, watching the game. Like, I know Fulham's a newly promoted side, and I actually really like that side, but. Um, and they're going to take time to get used to. But there's something to just be said, Owen, about, you know, just the mental strength and um, the fact that they looked really flat at times yesterday, but they were able to pull through those wins, you know. It's almost like if there's anything we've seen, it's, you know, Chelsea and Arsenal look, just for these small sample size, have looked great in spells and then looked really poor in spells. You know, Liverpool last year, you know, had had trouble – Winning, you know, tight games that a lot of draws. Um, you know, I don't know. There's just there's just something simple to this. You know, they, you know, Sissoko and and Serge Aurier, two um, two players in play. So I don't, I don't know. We'll, we'll see it with them. Um, they're just a, a very interesting side, and I don't. Well, the way that you know those three teams look right now, that being um, Arsenal, Chelsea. Um, and Manchester United, you know, Tottenham seems to be like a top four seems about right for them. Yeah, no, I'd agree as well. But so, definitely yeah. something to keep an eye on as we as we go through the season. For sure. And then what are your thoughts on, I guess, with regards to Everton? I mean, we, we were giving him, uh, we were qu- questioning Ray Charleston, but, you know, I think three goals. Three goals through two games. Yeah, no, he's, he's wow. at least so far got off to a good start. Um, I think a change of scenery worked for him, working with Marco Silva, who initially brought him to Watford. Um, he kind of struggled under Sam Allardyce a little bit, and, you know, obviously that uh, that kind of time, or not Sam Allardyce, I'm sorry, under um, they Sam Allardyce. 
No. Uh, oh, uh, Mar- Marford's Marfil. interim manager last season, whose name oh. eludes me. Me too. <laughs> after the firing of Marco Silva, Javi Gracia. Uh, right. Oh, Javi Gracia. Yep. Um, so you know, there's there's a lot to be said about about what he's done so far this season. In in compare, I mean, he hadn't scored until since November 2017. Uh, obviously, mm-hmm. his his goal last week um, was the kind of or sorry, his two goals last week. Yep. Against Wolves. Um, that that kind of you know announced himself as an Everton player. Um, I'm still a little, I don't know. I'm not, you know, I'm not sold on Everton making a run for the top four or for the top six this year, just because I just feel like there's a lot in the way, but you know, they, they they're showing signs at least of, of doing something chaotic this year, whether that's, you know, upsetting the big boys and losing to a team that's about to be relegated or, or what have you. But that's that's what makes the Premier League so much fun to watch is you never know what to expect week in and week out. Oh, it's it's so exciting. Every game, Moan, uh, doesn't matter who's playing. I mean, that, that Everton-Wolves uh, game was really exciting, you know? Yeah, and you um, think of Neves' free kick sure. and Jimenez's equalizer. And yep. What a, just a great game. I mean, I just think Everton's kind of a wild card, right? Because... I wouldn't give them top four consideration, but there's a lot of potential. If you, to me, the story is you know how are their players going to perform relative to their potential? Because we talked about like guys like Michael Keane underachieving, and then they have you know Theo Walcott, uh, Ray Charlson, Sigurdsson. It, it, he kind of struggled when he got there too. Saint Tuson, There's a lot to be asked of him. But if all those five guys that I just mentioned play well, you know it's an interesting team, you know, and they do have Marco Silva, so. Yeah, yeah. One to keep an eye on for sure is Everton, mm-hmm. and we'll just have to see how they how they kind of deal with everything as we get to you know the first international break of the year, which is you know thankfully only a week, but um, just a week mm-hmm. without football. Uh, it'll be next weekend. So sad face. Moving on to baseball, um, kind of b- bad segue there, but you know, yeah, we got we got to talk baseball. We got to talk America's sure. pastime because there's only about a month left in the regular season, and as mm-hmm. it stands right now. The Boston Red Sox have won 88 games. Yep. We are we are not even we are a little more than a month away from the end of the regular season and they've already won 88 games. They are almost guaranteed a playoff spot at this point. I think they're pretty much all yep. guaranteed a playoff spot. Uh it's just whether or not it's going to be the division or the uh or the wild card. I I you know, bar they'd have to really collapse and you know obviously not mm-hmm. good for for them to to not win so, the division. For the Yankees too. Uh, but the Yankees, I mean they're they're struggling but at the same time, they're on pace for, I think, just shy of 100 mm-hmm. wins, and they're going to be a wild card team. Which reminds me of yep. of the times the Red Sox and Yankees, you know, went at it in the early 2000s, in 2003, 2004. Um, obviously, 2004 maybe a, a uh, what am I looking for? <laughs> Lost a word for a second there. Maybe a a sore subject for Yankees fans, uh, specifically <laughs> those four days in October. But you know who's counting? Oh yeah, no everybody. Um, <laughs> No, but it's it's it, again. It just goes back to you know how good the top teams are, specifically in the American League, um, and how it's it's more wide open in the National League, for lack of a better word. Um, and to kick off kind of this, you know, it, it's almost the playoff discussion. I want to get your thoughts on the following team because they are surprising everybody in the baseball world right now. At least those outside of you know those who don't follow the team regularly, and that is the Oakland A's. Mm-hmm. The Oakland A's are currently tied for first place with the oh world gosh. champion, defending world champion Houston Astros. 
tied for, for I, I never thought I'd hear those words uttered this late in the season. But here we are, August 19th, <laughs> and the A's are tied with the Astros for first place. I mean, it's, it's crazy. Oh, yeah. I mean, absolutely. Um, that, I mean, all right, if you had to put your money on it right now, who's going to win that division? Because there's three teams right there. Ultimately, it'll be Houston, I think. Okay. Uh, but the A's are definitely, uh, you know, a, a very strong shout for the wild card. Very, very strong shout. So what do you, I mean, just what do you think has made them so good, Owen? Because, yeah, I mean, this is the team that no, no one saw coming into the season at all. You know, it's it's not you know, and I hate to kind of say this, but it's it's one of those kind of unquantif- unquantifiable things. It's it's this tenacity. It's this this team doesn't know when to lose. This team doesn't know when it's beaten. It, and it's not they have just one one or two just mega superstars. You think of teams like the Yankees, who have your John Carlos Stanton's and your Aaron Judges. You think of the Red Sox with Mookie Betts and J.D. Martinez. You think of the Astros, just up and down the rotation and the lineup. They're just loaded. But the A's, they're just very solid across the board but mm-hmm. one thing i do want to highlight though is that four-headed <laughs> monster in the bullpen it used to be yeah. a two-headed monster with trevino and trinan with whatever trinan just throws the nastiest sinker i've ever seen in my life basically sure. <laughs> 98 miles an hour at your knees uh and and, and sinking it's it's unreal um with trevino as well also throwing some cheese and then they went out and got fernando rodney and jury's familia two mm-hmm. experienced closers so basically, they have three closers in the bullpen. That shortens a game, and anyone in baseball can tell you, if you can shorten a game like that, it, it, it makes all of them so much easier, and it takes a lot of pressure off of your lineup. And their lineup sure. is pretty solid, too. You think of guys like Chris Davis, Matt Olson, who had a walk-off dinger recently, Jed Lowry, who's a first-time All-Star in his mid-30s. It, just up and down, this entire team. They're just quietly solid at every position. The rotation yeah. is my only concern for the A's. It's not that it's bad. It's that it, it, it won't stack up with your four-headed monster in Houston with Keuchel and Verlander and Cole and Charlie Morton. Morton, yep. It's, it's, just, it's just unbelievable how good that rotation is. And Lance McCullers Jr. as well. Mm-hmm. The lineup to go with it. I mean, there's a reason they're world champs. It's because they were that good. Um, and then they went out and got Osuna from the Blue Jays. Obviously, with his his domestic abuse, he sat out a lot of the season. But yep. uh, for one reason or another, he's back and and pitching again, and it just makes them stronger. Yeah, no, I agree. And and you know, with regards to the Mariners, I like the Mariners lineup, but they have some questions this um, questions too. But yeah, the A's are a really solid team. Obviously, like you said, you look at the Astros, and you know, you look at the. Keiko Verlander Morton and you're like how on earth can a team keep up with that you know three you know just incredible talents um but the A's have, have done it man and to you know it, it looked like for a lot of the season it looked like a two horse race between the Mariners and um the the Astros and and the A's were just a little bit back but now they're they're you know atop the division I believe and they could. They're. They look really strong. They look very strong. Yeah, and you know this kind of goes back to how top heavy the AL is because you think about outside of those, those five teams, five or six teams, um, be those those being the Red Sox and the Yankees and the Indians. Your Indians, who we haven't even talked about on the show. Yep. Um, but you know they're they're pretty much a lock for the Central. Uh, I don't think it's there's any discussion there. I think they're going to walk right to the Central and and 
and be just fine. And then out west, it could be one of those three teams. And then with the two wild cards, you're, you're thinking the Yankees are going to be there, the Red Sox are going to be there, and and one of the Mariners or the A's are going to be there. I think the Astros are still going to win the division, um, and that's no disrespect okay. to the Mariners or the A's. It's just that pitching staff. I mean, everyone knows, at least in baseball circles, how important pitching is, starting pitching is in October and, and September. And ultimately, that's what's going to carry them over the line, I think, for the division. But I would not write off the A's or the Mariners by any stretch, just given what those teams have been able to do so far this year. How about Sean Manea? Yeah, is obviously throwing his no-hitter earlier in the season um, and just quietly putting together a very good year. I think the A's are one of those teams that no matter how good they are, they will always fly under the radar just because they're not a big-budget team. They don't have those big superstars. And when they do have yep. superstars, they usually trade them. Um, just because they they know they can't afford him. I mean, you think they traded Josh Donaldson a few years ago? Um, it, yep. It's But it, just the way they've been able to every few years put together a really really good team. Uh, it, it's just a testament to to that organization. It's it's with the resources they have, they've done an exceptional job. Yeah. No. I, absolutely. So, I mean, we've been talking about them, but what are your thoughts on the Mariners? Because we can't forget about them either. Um, and I think they have a really talented team, too, who I actually really like. Um, yeah. I wouldn't bet on them winning the division, but I, I do think that they're, it's going to come right down to the end with them as well. No, and this is this is one of the things where it, it you know, it tangentially kind of goes back to the Red Sox and the Yankees because, you know, those two teams are always going to be relevant. And, sure. you know, say, for example, the Red Sox put together a really good lineup uh, kind of like the Yankees did this past offseason. Well, the other team's going to respond, and they're going to kind of try to one-up them. And and in turn, that takes away from the rest of the league because most of that talent and the and the, organiza- the, the money thrown at those organizations and those teams is concentrated in, between those two teams. So it takes away from – it literally takes that playoff spot away from the rest of the league. In an ideal world, it'd be one team from the AL East given this year, one team from the AL East, one team from the AL Central, and then the three from the West because they've all shown us – incredible incredible season so far have they yeah. been perfect no. no and obviously it's a long season so you should in theory be able to put together enough through the course of 162 games but one of the red sox yankees does actually take away from the rest of the league so it, it is disappointing at times but again you can't really fault a team like you know boston or new york for just for being as good as they are um, you know i, I do we should say, you know, one thing that's really unfortunate with regards to the Yankees compared to the other teams is just they've, they've had the injury bug, you know? It, yeah. It's t- it's tough when you're trying to win a division race and you get hit by, you know, it's been a cycle of whether it's, you know, Gleyber Torres or Gary Sanchez or uh, there's just a number of guys in that lineup that have, have spent some time uh, out of the lineup. Yeah, and it, it is rough when you're trying to keep up with a team that's already won 88 games. So it's it, it definitely is a tough situation for, for the Yankees. Um, but again, it's one of those things where we talked about how good they were, how good they were in the in the uh, in the winter with their acquisition of Stanton mm-hmm. and uh, calling up Labor Torres. It, it's just you know this was kind of going to be the year the Yankees you know. They, they got back to the the World Series and won the World Series, and, you know, it was promising for a while. Um, and they, you know, back and forth with the Red Sox pretty much all year, and then the Red Sox mm-hmm. just are on this ridiculous tear. They are. They've won two oh. games in the month. Or sorry, they've lost two games in the month of August. Um, they just they just don't know how to lose anymore. Um, as I say that, they've lost today. 
but they've just been on this incredible sure. run and it's been it's been tough for the Yankees to keep up because they are missing so many key players which so, is why September is going to be so exciting because it's you, you'd think mm-hmm. if if Judge and Sanchez both come back healthy then they're going to give the Red Sox a run for their right. money unless they're too far gone at that point which you know would be unfortunate but uh, at the end of the day I'm not complaining so a couple of things Owen so w- with regards to what you said um, you know first of all um, I think that that series where Boston swept New York was a huge, you know, and Steve Pierce just had two games where he's just bombing home runs. Um, that was, a, I think we could look back as maybe a turning point um, from the season. I think that was a really key series. Um, but uh, also with some other news with regards to injuries, um, I did get an update earlier that Didi Gregorius left the game for a possible collision injury. So that's another thing we got to keep our eye on now in addition to Stanton and Judge and Sanchez and all these guys, you know. Yeah, and it's 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 just one of those things for the Yankees where they, you know, it seems like they can't afford any any kind of slip ups at this point in the season, and it's part of it's down to luck. And you know, you think of that four game series they they had the uh, they had the Sunday night game wrapped up. It was four one in the ninth, and they ended up losing five four. Oh, you're right. Um, they did. And so. and to me, it's it. I don't mean to be hypercritical of the Yankees, you know, just because I don't like them. But I think a lot of this is down to their bullpen being, I think, a little overhyped. You, you know, I, I, they obviously do have some very good pitchers in the bullpen. And they went out and got Zach Britton, who was supposed to be, you know, the guy to help him catch the Red Sox. And he's been awful sure. since coming yep. to the Yankees. Orolis Chapman isn't as good as, you know, he has been in years past because hitters have kind of figured out how he goes about it. How you attack um, you. Yeah. And, it, right, and and it's it's one of those things where when you throw as hard as you, as he does, you have to be somewhat precise because eventually there is going to be one hitter out there who's going to time you up, and whether it's a, a 19, 20 year old kid by the name of Rafael Devers at Yankee Stadium on Sunday Night Baseball last year, oh who yeah took him took him yard, uh, or whether it's a hitter like Alex Bregman or Carlos Correa, it's it's eventually they're they're going to catch up to you. As a pitcher, and it, the command has to be there for for someone who throws like Chapman. You know, and so, yeah, they've had – I agree. Um, they've had – and it's interesting, Owen, because you, you just mentioned that. Um, first of all, yeah, they've had – I think their bullpen is a little overhyped. They're, they're starting pitching. Guys like Sonny Gray have been disappointing um, before, obviously. Moved to the changed. bullpen. Yep, they moved him. But he, he was – because he was having a really bad year. Yeah. Um, Sabathia is now injured. Um, so even Severino's had had problems too. Severino since the All Star break has been just horrible, awful. Like, and and so, but it's interesting. I just wanted to touch on your point about like Zach Britton because you know we're out here and we see the news, but um, you always just wonder how these big signings are going to impact our team, particularly in the race. And you know, um, it happened to Zach Britton. It, it happened to he's kind of picked it up recently in the last 10, 11, 12 games, but Manny Machado struggled when he first got to the Dodgers. So sometimes you just you the, you don't get quite the boost at the trade deadline. You know, we talked a lot about the trade deadline um, that, you, that you're hoping to get. Or it just takes a little time for them. But in the case of a race, you know, that's a big deal. You can't lose ground. Yeah, and it's one of those things for the Yankees. They, they can't afford to lose more ground against the Red Sox. 
And look at the Red Sox remaining schedule this year. They've got a four-game set with Cleveland. Uh, so that'll be a tough one. It'll be at, at Fenway. So in theory, a little easier. But, you know, playing against a team as good as Cleveland is, is never easy. Chris Sale mm-hmm. just went back on the DL, so they'll have to manage yep. without him for a little while longer. Uh, then they go to Tampa Bay, play the Marlins at Fenway. Then they go to Chicago and then Atlanta. Uh, and then they've got Houston, Toronto. They have two more series with the Yankees. So six more games, uh, three at Fenway, three mm-hmm. in the Bronx. Uh, the three at Fenway to end the season, actually. But they've also got Baltimore and the Mets and Toronto. So they don't have the toughest schedule in the world based on how those teams have done sure. so far this year. Uh, they may have to face Jacob deGrom, the Red Sox do. And for the Yankees, you have to be thinking, we can't afford to lose any ground because sure. you, you just can't assume your opponent's going to drop games. I mean, you have to you have to take it in your own hands and, and just hope you get help. But even so, it's for the Yankees, it's a case where if they – finish the rest of the season where they are, they still have a better record than every other division winner in baseball. Which is crazy. It's, crazy. it's ridiculous how good they are. And we're talking yep. about them being nine and a half games back, back. of their it's hated absurd. rivals. It's absurd. So, but Owen, you know, for the sake of argument, um, you know, like you said, the Yankees can't afford to lose any more ground if they're going to make a challenge. But I don't want to jinx it, but if I put my eye on it, you know, the Red Sox should win a division. So, but Owen, we're back at square one in the sense that here we are. The Red Sox are sitting atop all of the MLB, um, looking, you know, like they've looked like the best team, you know, the whole season. They're just incredibly dominant. That lineup is incredible, but do they have enough starting pitching in the postseason? No, no absolutely not. No. We, it, it's almost like Owen. I don't want to say we're going to learn a lot from the Red Sox going into the postseason, but it's almost like a um, kind of a, an education lesson for general managers in the sense that depending on the Red Sox, how the Red Sox own, like doing the postseason, you know, they could do very well. But if if the Red Sox were to say for the sake of argument lose in the first round of the postseason, does that change the way that teams look at how to construct the team because they've been so dominant? And that lineup is so good, but if they don't have enough pitching in the postseason, we'll see. Though you know, give it time, but it may not matter. No, all no. My my answer is the Red Sox do not have enough starting pitching. They're going to get bounced in the first round again, um, wow. because of the fact that this team is so heavily reliant on their lineup, and teams that do that never, ever, ever survive in October. You cannot be 100% reliant on either your lineup or one starter by the name of Chris Sale to get you through this. The bullpen is still a bit of a liability outside of Craig Kimbrell. The starting rotation, you never know what you're going to get. Rick Porcello threw a Greg Maddox complete game and then gave up seven runs at his next start. I mean, that is that is Rick Porcello this year in a nutshell. He's, he's just not the guy who the Red Sox should be paying $22 million a year on that contract. It's, it's absurd. David Price yep. is – he's David Price. He's not great anymore um he's still a very he's still got a lot of quality and experience but i don't know how, how much that gets you in october chris sale doesn't even have a good postseason record he's only been in the playoffs once in his career and you know obviously going against the astros is going to skew your stats a little bit but again you think of how top heavy the al is this year every single team is very very good so you can't really afford to to lose any of that and i think the red sox what they've done well so far this year is they've kind of managed his innings a little bit so sure. he's not as exhausted. I mean, last year he was throwing 100, 110 pitches routinely. I mean, this year he's – I think he's probably had uh, – someone could probably correct me on this. He's probably had more starts under 100 pitches than he has had over 100 pitches. Um, and that's that's going to help him 
hopefully stay healthy for October. And obviously with the shoulder inflammation, that's something yep. uh, that's a bit of a worry. Um, and it's, it's just one of those things where, you know, you know what you're going to get at Chris Sale, you think. Um, you kind of know what you're going to get out of David Price a little bit, if you, depending on which David Price shows up. But after that, it's it's just a train wreck. It, I mean, you're talking about a guy like Brian Johnson and yep. Nathan Eovaldi, who's shown flashes of brilliance, but also flashes of this is why he was traded twice, uh, once from the Yankees and then I believe uh, once from... I believe he's been traded, traded or moved around twice. He's had injury issues, yes, but he, you know, I, I've voiced my concerns about Evaldi before. Um, sure, I'm just not convinced by him, even though okay. his stuff is really good. Yep. Uh, and and again, be, it's 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 this kind of stubbornness from from Dombrowski, and we've seen this at basically every other club he's been at. I mean, he this this is a guy who's not afraid to make a deal, but he's only won one World Series as an executive. Mm-hmm. So that kind of speaks to, and, and he he also has you know given away a lot of prospects. Exactly, and and actually one of the prospects that he gave away, Michael Kopech, is actually starting today for the White Sox. Um, okay, and if he, he if he turns out to be any good, then 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 you know he was obviously moved in the Chris Sale trade, but right. it, it's still one of those situations where you have to look at what the the moves this team is making. I mean, tying down a pitcher like Rick Porcello with a career ERA in the fours to a $22 million per year contract for about four years. He's a respect to mean. That's when you have to start asking questions of this organization. And until they win the World Series doing what they are doing with just this lineup and the pitching that is hopefully good enough, then, you know, know, I don't think there's any reason to, to, to stray away from what the Astros are doing, for example. I mean, they're, the Astros are built on, yes, obviously a really deep lineup, but they added to what maybe their weakness was. I mean, even last year, right. acquiring Verlander at the trade at the waiver trade deadline and then That's going right. out in the offseason and getting Garrett Cole and then grooming Charlie Morton, getting his confidence up and grooming him into whatever kind of monster mm-hmm. he's turned into. You know what you're going to get out of Dallas Keuchel, who won the Cy Young Award. Uh, sure. it's, it's just up and down that team. The only weakness sure. is, is at the back end of the bullpen. bullpen. Guess what? They addressed it. They, they went out and got Ozuna. So it, it's... Right. It's not looking like you know, as for as good as they are, and I know I might get a lot of hate from Red Sox fans for this, but I'm a Red Sox fan too, and I just don't see this team getting past the first round. It, they're going to play a team that wow. has better pitching, and okay. pitching wins in October. I don't care who you are. It just does. So, I mean, wow. So, I mean, Owen, let me ask you this. Do you think that have all these moves – there's no doubt that the Red Sox have a great team. Are all the moves that the Red Sox have made, given how much they've given up, worth it, in your opinion? Um, I mean, I, I guess, but at the same time, it's it's depends who you compare yourself to. I mean, if you're comparing yourself to your the, your rivals, I mean, if you're comparing yourself to the Yankees, who haven't won a World Series since 2009, Red Sox have won three since 2004, uh, you know, I, I guess it's fine. But if if the if the if the Yankees start winning World Series or say the Astros go back to back this year, then you kind of have to ask questions like: Are we doing enough? Are we building our team the right way? Are we sure. using? Are we getting all the right pieces? Because you remember under John Farrell, it wasn't always smooth sailing. It wasn't always the 2013 first place finish, basically steamrolling every team on the way to the World Series with a with a roster that had no business <laughs> being there. But I mean, I think the 2013 squad. Uh, based on the careers of all of those players, was probably the worst team to win the World Series of those three, of the mm-hmm. 04, 07, and 2013 Sox. I think they were probably the worst, but they were buoyed by 
obviously the tragedy with the Boston Marathon and and just getting the best out of players who had been all over the place. You think of Shane Victorino and Mike Napoli, Johnny Gomes, guys that kind of been all over the place, David Ross, mm-hmm. um, Koji Uehara, who turned sure. out to be unhittable in the postseason. Uh, just guys who had kind of gone through a lot in their careers, kind of just put it all together for, you know, the last four months or so of the season. And they were, you know, it, it's a, and obviously David Ortiz doing David Ortiz things, just tearing sure. the cover off the ball on his way to World Series MVP. I mean, it was, it was – I just think that team was one of the weaker ones. And under John Farrell, they kind of regressed a little bit, even though they won the division three times. And it was the first time they'd ever won back-to-back division titles. So yeah. it's it's – it's not a step backward, but it's not a step forward, I think, uh, mm-hmm. under Dombrowski. But, you know, time will tell. I mean, I could be dead wrong, and they could sweep everyone on the way of the World Series. Who knows? It, it's just one of those things you never know, but I just have not. They haven't passed the eye test for me. And that's, you know, I, okay. I, I know a lot of people in sports circles hate that phrase and that idea. The eye test, yeah. But they don't pass the eye test. No one, no pitchers on the Red Sox outside of Chris Sale and Craig Kimbrell have truly unhittable stuff. Sure. Four guys in the Astros have unhittable stuff. That's right. Four guys. It, it's it's absurd because if you think of the investments the Red Sox have made. They threw two hundred seventeen million dollars over seven years at David Price. They and threw eighty four million dollars a year for four years at Rick Porcello. They mm-hmm. traded basically the farm for Chris Sale, Michael Kopech, one of those uh, one of those pitchers as well, along with Yon Moncada. I think. The Red Sox got the better of that, even though Moncada's sure. an exciting prospect. Um, he could turn into a better player, but who knows? Yep. Um, but I just don't think it's it's been as – I don't know. I'm not as convinced, even though they've won 88 games so far this year. And it's – you know, maybe it's – maybe my expectations are way too high. But I don't know. I just – this just has a first-place exit written all over it. And I mean, you like just, you said – oh, and I mean – with Chris Sale going in the DL, I mean that's huge. You can't overstate that. Exactly, and this is this is, I, I hate to, to put the Mariners in this light, but this has 2001 Mariners written all over it. It really wow. does for okay. me. And I'll tell you, I mean, on on the prospect of uh, doom, you know, if we mention the the Cleveland Indians real quick, you know, the Indians have been. I don't think they're the strongest team in the American League by any stretch, and they've been flying under the radar, but. Um, the injury to Trevor Bauer, I mean, that's a huge blow to the rotation. Because when all four, when Cleveland with Clevenger, Carrasco, um, Kluber, and Bauer, that's a, an elite four group of pitchers that you could ride in the postseason, you know? Yeah. With Bauer's injury, if, you know, they say the timetable's four to six weeks, if he can come back in the postseason, but, you know, I, who knows if he's going to be close to where he was. That's a huge loss for them. And I'd almost go as far as to say that that, that really puts a huge dent in their, their postseason chances too. So there's a lot of uncertainty com- everywhere. Well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it puts a dent in their chances, just their chances of making a run. Um, they're going to be in the postseason. No, no, right. In terms of going far. Yeah, the okay. They're going to be in the postseason. They're yeah, going to win yeah, okay. the National division. But, you confused yeah. me for a second there, but I, I feel like I got what you're saying. No, but in terms of advancing, you know, because I, I like that group of four starting pitchers. You know, that that's – Right up there, you know, not probably not as good as the Astros, but close, you know. And now you have Brad Hand's been pitching pretty well, so they kind of addressed some of that bullpen issues. Um, so Chris Sale and Trevor Bauer, two injuries to keep an eye on, almost make or break for those teams, in my yeah. opinion. The, the the bright side for the Red Sox is Chris Sale can come off the DL. I believe he's eligible on the 25th, um, which I believe is Saturday next week. 
because uh, it was retro. They announced the move retroactive to August fifteenth. Um, mm-hmm. So if he, you know, if he can come back healthy mm-hmm. uh, and and kind of remain healthy, then then that'll be good. But it's it's just yeah. one of those things when you kind of look at his mechanics. It's a it's a weird injury to have, especially with someone who puts you know so much strain on his elbow and his left arm, um, just by the way he throws. But yeah. for the sake of just competition and seeing the best players in the postseason. Hopefully that'll kind of stay as it is. Um, yeah, I do. I do want to in the last uh, time, little time we have here before we get to our last uh, hot take segment. Um, I do want to talk about the wild, wild west in the NL because all yes. of those teams are within that a is game. the, wild, the top wild three west. game, top three teams: <laughs> Arizona, Colorado, and LA are within a game of each other. Wow! It is going to be a very exciting finish in the West, and I want to get your thoughts between those three teams: who is most likely to to win the division? Man, the Dodgers, this is really the tough. Dodgers have struggled as of late. Uh, they barely avoided a sweep at the hands of the Giants at home, and they almost got swept in a four-game series in Colorado. So, and and they're kind of back and forth with Seattle this this uh, this series. So it's mm-hmm. I don't know. There's a little bit of concern with me for the Dodgers, um, but that doesn't take away from. Uh, How... Oh, by the way, Joseph Martinez scored for Atlanta United. Uh, what's new? Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> he, he's ridiculous. But, uh, back to baseball. Um, it's it's just absurd that it, <laughs> that one of those teams that went out and got Brian Dozier and Manny Machado is is still kind of still well, still kind of struggling. How I, mean, I don't know. So they have so many hitters. Oh, and this is going to be unpopular, but I'm going to go out. You know who? Oh, I'm sorry. Well, Actually, who, guess Willie's prediction to win the NLS is the Arizona right. Diamondbacks. Arizona Diamondbacks. Okay, that's that's mm-hmm. that's a shout, but it's I can see it. Um, I just checked. The Dodgers are actually two games out of first place now. It's, it's the live right. standings are they're tied. Uh, Arizona and Colorado are tied for first with the Dodgers in uh, in third, two games back. Yeah, um, yeah. I you know three and seven in their last ten for the Dodgers. Rockies are eight and two in their last ten. D-backs five and five. So they're they're all within. I mean, they're close as far as the numbers are concerned, but it's it'll be it'll be a tough one, I think, for for those teams. And and look at the wild card standings. Uh, the Braves and the and the Phillies are both tied for the division lead. Actually, all these teams are uh, are equal on wins. Um, the Braves and the Phillies just have uh, one fewer loss each. Um, mm-hmm. So it's it is a log jam in the National League at the top. Um, really, really, I mean. <laughs> Looking at this, it looks like it's going to be either. I mean, at this point, who knows? Because look, the Braves, the Braves and the Phillies are there. The Cardinals are there. The Cubs leading the division, obviously. I think they'll they'll be fine. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but it's, it's who's going to make the playoffs in the NL? It's it's is it going to be three wildcard teams in the West? Two from the Central? Is it going to be is it going to be three from the East? I mean, it it it's anyone's guess at this point in the season. Sure. It's absurd. Oh, and we do got to mention with regards to the NLS, what are your thoughts on the Kenley Jansen situation and how that impacts the team? Oh, it's huge. I mean, I was at the game on Monday night, uh, and we saw in a 2-1 game against a team like the San Francisco Giants who don't really figure to make the playoffs this year unless they go on a great run in the end of September, mm-hmm. at the end of this month and into September. Uh, I mean, it was against the, the top of – Top of the Giants lineup, which is obviously no slouch, 
But Scott Alexander's in the game to close in a 2-1 game. He gets the first two outs and then gives up uh, four runs. I mean, mm-hmm. it was it was embarrassing for the Dodgers. because and, and that's how much they miss Kenley Jansen. Because even if Kenley Jansen blows the save, you're thinking, okay, maybe it's only a solo home run. Because he hasn't been his, his usual dominating self this year for one reason or another. But he's he's more likely to shut down that game than Scott Alexander, who I think is, sure. is, is I don't know why he's still on the team, to be honest. If I yeah. don't mean to be so, I don't mean to be so harsh, but it's, it's just one of those things where he just hasn't shown any, any good stuff this year. I mean, he has a, a, sure. a mid three high three ERA, but as a reliever, that's, that's mm-hmm. pretty bad. I, I think this is a case of, of, first of all, yes, I agree with what you're saying about Alexander. Um, you know, I think this is a case of um, kind of a lack, a, a troubled construction of a roster, right? Because when you look at, you know, people talk about Kershaw and, and Seager being off the season, Kershaw spent time in the deal, but the Dodgers have the starting pitching and tons of, ton, they have depth at starting pitching, they have tons of depth um, in uh, position players to withstand any type of injuries or guys going through slumps, but they don't have depth in the bullpen. Bullpen has been a concern, and it just so happens that this injury is affecting them, and, you know, this can make all the difference, you know? Like, you know, Dodgers lost a late game to the Mariners the other day, you know? So um, it, it's big. It's it's really big. Yeah, and and we talked about this earlier in the show when we were talking about the Red Sox, but a team built on the lineup is usually not going to be successful in October. Maybe they can make it to October, but in October it's all about the bullpen and the starting rotation. And if that's not there, then you're not going anywhere. So it's, you know, I, look, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see the Dodgers in the in the postseason as division champions. Um, I think it's a little less likely right now, but we'll see what happens when Kenley Jansen comes back. But you're right, the bullpen is a concern for the Dodgers. Um, and for me, it's not so much that they have depth; is they 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 do have depth, but it's not quality depth. Quality it's depth, depth. It's depth. Yeah. It's quantity versus quality for the Dodgers outside of Clayton Kershaw, Alex Wood, and Rich Hill. Yes, they're they're good pitchers, but they're not they're not Kershaw caliber or even on that second tier. They're they're more third, fourth tier starting pitchers. And if you want to be a contender in in October, you've got to have at least two top tier guys uh, or That's two right. top two tier guys. So like a, a top mm-hmm. tier Clayton Kershaw. And like a second tier guy who's, you know, Rich Hill was that guy when he first came over from the A's uh, and then a little bit in the stretches last season. But it, it just hasn't hasn't really been there for the Dodgers. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's it's concerning if you are a Do- it if, is. if you are an LA fan, it's concerning. And, you know, when you just look at the team last year um, and you think about their shortcomings when you thought maybe they were in a World Series, you know, A was the, sh- the bullpen looks it was the it was the pitching, you know. A the bullpen looked really good early in the year, but guys like Pedro Baez started struggling. Kenley Jansen struggled in the World Series, and then when you look at the rotation, you know, like you Darvish had two poor games in the World Series. It the point is it all comes back to pitching. It always comes back to pitching, yeah. and that's and, the concern. And to me, going just briefly on the subject of last year's World Series, uh, Game Seven specifically, I think when Darvish gives up those two runs in the first inning, you I think that's him. when you have to pull him. But mm-hmm. I, I think Roberts left him in the game a little too long. And for as great of a manager as he is, I think that was a mistake. Um, I think there's there's a time and a place to 
to kind of trust your starting pitcher. Um, and Game Seven of the World Series at home at Dodger Stadium just was not was not it. I mean, this is it's literally all hands on deck. There there is no tomorrow, so you you cannot afford. I mean, I, I think if you give up one run, you have to pull him. I, I think it's one of those situations where you have to use everyone available. Um, obviously, the counter argument to that is what if the game goes to extras? Um, but you, you can't really think about that. You have to think about the current situation, not, you know, you can't think that far ahead in the future because it is it is game seven. So, mm-hmm. but, you yeah. know, I, I think that's, that's we're kind of picking at straws in this situation. But For sure. But going back to the Dodgers, it is, it is going to be tough for them to, I think, make a run this year. Um, they very well could. You never know. Baseball is one of those weird things, mm-hmm. weird sports where really anything could happen at any given time regardless of what's going on. I mean, the Rockies made the World Series in 2007 winning 23 out of their – 22 out of the last 23 or whatever it was they went on that crazy run at the end of the year and then you think of obviously dozen fourth the boston red sox the team that was yeah. down and out ended up winning the world series sweeping one of the best teams in baseball in the st louis cardinals i mean you really just don't know what's going to happen and apologies for the police <laughs> siren in the background yeah yeah no you so owen who do you got winning the nls um i'm gonna have to i'm gonna have to go with the the d-backs um I think those three teams are very similar, uh, the Dodgers and D-backs and Rockies, um, as far as their, you know, what they excel at. I think none of them really stand out to me in, in the greater scheme of things. Um, I think it's it's tough to call. I think the NL this year is just so much harder to call because it's it could be anybody. Um, for You know, even for as good as the Cubs have been this year, um, they they're still, you know, not the the elite of the elite we saw them when they won the world series mm-hmm. so it's just one of those situations where if, if you ask me now i'd say the d-backs but i don't think any team in the nl could really you know if, if it is one mm-hmm. of the astros or the red Sox or the indians or the yankees in the world series mm-hmm. i don't think it's i don't think it's going to be a, a very close world series but that's you know that's a long ways yeah. away back to this, that's a long tangent nl west i'd say the d-backs right now until the yeah. Dodgers can get their bullpen figured Me out. Me too. I'd agree but with that. We're, we're at that point where you can't really tinker with your bullpen much. Um, and I know with the rosters get expanded in early September. Yeah, it's going to uh, help. That, that could help them out a little bit. But, again, it just is not It's not looking 100%. Uh, it's not no. looking great in L.A. for the Dodgers. Not, no, it is not. But, no, I mean, that's not. almost to be expected of a team that lost Game 7 of the World Series. I mean, it, that, that's, excuse me, that's a tough sure. thing to do, to come back from. I mean, that's... You know, it's, yeah. it's kind of like the the Super Bowl hangover we talk about in football, and thank God, yeah, not, it is. We're, people are already talking about football, but we're not giving that enough time in this show, at least American football. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like a Super Bowl hangover, and and it's so hard to get to the playoffs the year after. Um, and you know, even though the Atlanta Falcons did it, you know, no biggie. Uh, it's just it's just one of those things where it's tough to come back from from Game Seven of the World Series. Isn't it weird how, like. I'm not going to say the team has changed, but it's like the Dodgers are so good, but yet it's like there's almost like a change in, in face, you know, like like Mance, Max Muncy is in this year instead of um, Corey Seager, you know. Matt Kemp is starring. Um, Manny Machado is starring. And, you know, Cody Bellinger, I'd say, you know, relative to last year, um, he's having still having a fine year, but not quite as high, you know. Um Jock Peterson's been more in the fold. It's just it's just weird because it's like I don't know. It's like on one hand, and then even Brian Dozier too. It's almost like I don't know. Maybe I'm making too much of it, but you know. But it's like there there's 
it's just like a, it's almost like a little bit of a different team this year. Yeah, no, I'm I'm with you there, and and outside of and on the pitching side of it, outside of Clayton Kershaw, it's it's you know very much that number two role. It's it's not really defined. Uh, mm. A few years ago, obviously when they had Zach Greinke, it was it was very yep. much this very you know much. Kershaw and Greinke, Greinke uh, one two punch, just dominating you in the first two games. But mm-hmm. it's a different LA now, um, and you know obviously having to navigate that in the off season is tough, and and dealing with the the loss in the World Series was is tough, but. Um, it's just there's so yeah. many question marks right now, so we'll we'll have to wait and see. But to avoid spending too much time at baseball, I, I do want to get to our last segment, our our little hot takes, hot takes aired out segment, whatever you want to call it, parting shots. Mm-hmm. Um, so I know you wanted to talk about the PGA, but I will lead off uh, with mine. Actually, mm-hmm. I know you probably have a, a similar take on this, but uh, Tiger Woods shooting 64 in the final round on Sunday. Yeah. Uh, not only statistically put life back into golf, uh, in mm-hmm. that the rate the PGA had its highest rating since 2009, which was won by or 2000. I'm sorry, 2007, where a guy by the name of I think Tiger Woods won that year. I believe it was it was the highest rating since Tiger Woods last mm-hmm. won it. Um, so Tiger has single handedly this year put life back into golf. That's right. Um, it's yeah. not to say that it was in a bad place or it was dead, but I mean, for as long as you and I have been basically as long as you and I have been alive, sure. golf has been, Tiger Woods has been synonymous with golf as the best. And it, it's just, it, he, he's back. Golf is back and we're in yep. a good spot. I would say with regards to Tiger Woods, what, with that, what the PGA taught me was that, he can win, you know. All he's missing is just he needs to drive the ball a little bit better. He kind of sprays it, but oh, and his iron play was so good. I mean, he was he was hitting his irons really close to the hole and making timely putts. You know, it's just such precision, such great golf. You know, yeah. and you know, I was I was you know, you ca- you start to wonder. You know, he early in the year he goes to Bay Hill, um, and he he's close, but he doesn't quite win. Um, he's in contention for more tournaments. He goes to the British Open. You, he collapses on the back nine. You wonder, does he have it mentally? But that tournament taught me where he's going shot for shot with Brooks Kepka that he's back. And he has the game on. He has the game, too. That's yeah. what's so impressive, you know? He can't bomb the ball like he once did. He can't hit the ball 340 yards like Brooks oh, Kepka no. does. He's, he can, but not as consistently. But I, well, yeah. yeah I, I mean, when you have a few spine, you know, it's hard to... I mean, you, he can, you know. But. Yeah, and he, he's still generating incredible speed for someone who's 42 he does. years old. He's going to be 43 in December, which is astonishing. And he's yeah. hitting the ball farther than I am, and I, I'm closer to 24 than I am 23. So that just shows you how talented he is at putting the middle of the club face on the ball every single time. Yeah. Um, he His shots, his shot-making on is um, – is really incredible, you know, and he, when he puts all of those, he's starting to put it all together. He, he's really starting to put it all together. And, and like you said, there's such a buzz about, I mean, Owen, when you watch and you see all the, like not only the viewership, but the crowds, that, that was, there's so much excitement there, you know, like everybody's talking about, they always ask the players, like, what's it like? Players talking about how they can hear the roars when they're on different holes exactly. or how everyone is just chanting. Like, there's so much excitement 
um, around golf at this point, you know? And, and the one saying in golf circles is that if you're a competitor on the PGA Tour playing in a tournament with Tiger Woods, you can identify immediately where Tiger is by the sound yep. of the roar. It's, yep. it's, it's, that is, to me, why he is the greatest athlete to ever play golf. Because that is not something that we saw with Jack Nicklaus, per se. That's maybe something we saw with Arnold Palmer a little bit, but... But Tiger has taken he he single handedly turned golf into yeah. a huge huge sport. I mean, in, in the past it was obviously a very elitist sport. It's still very elitist, but he kind of broke it down a little bit and inspired this entire generation of of guys our age and a little older to only want to do that. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a, that's it's right. amazing. How even at his age, even through all he's been through, I mean, even in 2017, last year at the Masters dinner, he told he told a Masters champion, a former champion at the Champions dinner, he said, "I'm done." He said, "I mean, he he thought he was he was done at that point. Wow. He thought his career was over." But here he is in August of 2018, competing for the last two majors of the year. And, yeah, you know, golf is in a better place when he does well, and people Absolutely. who disagree with that, I think, are, are losing sight of the fact of of what he's done for the game. And what he will always mean to the game, what his legacy will mean for the game of golf in in the United States, yeah, and, and around the world, he he's he's grown the viewership so much, and and dude, I just want to get your you know thoughts quickly on um, you know, we talk about Brooks Kepka all day long. He he's so solid, not only driving but with irons and um and putting too, but you know, um. You've talked about how golfers can can work out, and he's in, I mean he's inspired so many players. And you look at a guy like Brooks Kepka who hits the gym every morning, you know, before and and it's and just before he even plays, you know, and you know, like you said, he's got a complete player, but you know, his driving on the final round was incredible, and it just I don't know, it just reminded me how Tiger really inspired people. Yeah, it's it's one of those things as well. Going back to Tiger's legacy, it's it's not that he was just the first player to you know win by as many as as he did and to do it, but it's just to do it in the way that he did it. His preparation, his fitness, his attention to all of those things, making him kind of turning the modern day golfer into an athlete. And I'm not saying Jack Nicklaus was unathletic or Arnold Palmer wasn't good at other sports or wasn't athletic, but it's more to say that. It's not so much only the good ones are athletes. It's that every single player works and trains and they act. They, they are professional athletes at this point. Mm-hmm. I mean, Brooks Kepka told he, he he says repeatedly if he could go back and do it again, he wouldn't play golf. He'd play baseball. That shows you what kind of players golf is attracting now because of guess who Tiger Woods. So people yeah. who say he's not the greatest to me are losing sight of that fact. Uh, my yeah. dad still holds the fact that Bobby Jones is the greatest of all time, very dear to his heart. Wow. But Bobby okay. Jones is also an Emory Law grad, as is my dad, so sure. he has a little bit of that uh, that vibe. I mean, Bobby Jones also won the the Grand Slam back in the day when it was a mm-hmm. U.S. Am, British Am, U.S. Open, British Open. So it, you know, different times, different era. But I think in sure. the modern era, there's no greater champion and no greater figure in the game of golf than Tiger Woods. So. Feel free to tweet at me and, and let me know why I'm wrong, and I will gladly slap you in the face digitally. And uh, yeah, not actually because I don't I don't do that. <laughs> oh, but 
Yeah. Back to back to Tiger. Um, but yeah, I actually I, I will confess I did miss the 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 weekend at the PGA. I was just busy last weekend doing this, that, and the other. But but I was able to yeah. catch uh, the the highlights of what Tiger did, and it made mm-hmm. me feel like I was watching vintage Tiger Woods again. Um, oh, obviously missed a couple great. putts that were you know that were sure. kind of crucial on the first hole, and I think the middle of the back nine that would have you know would have been helpful. But at the end of the day, you can't really ask what if. You kind of have to just worry about what what is and and keep going yeah um and also on a side note too it was great to see adam scott back in the mix yeah he's yeah, one definitely. He, people say is one of the best golf swings and he's one of my favorite golfers great guy so it was nice to see him there back in contention and you know yeah definitely. it's just that one putting has been holding him back but all in all, just great PGA championship. So yeah, I, I yeah. think we had we had pretty good majors this year. I think the Masters disappointed me a little bit, um, personally because I'm not a fan of Patrick Reed. I think he he kind of epitomizes p- things that people don't like about Americans in general and kind of creates that bad reputation. But that's not something he cares about. He's more just concerned with himself and and all that fun stuff. So you know, well, sure, it is what it is. Um, but I think we had a, we had some good majors this year. I think the U.S. Open was a little iffy, um, just the way the the USGA tried to manufacture a a tournament like mm-hmm. that. And I think Mike Davis is a little in over his head. Um, I think he's a little full of himself. But that's you know neither here nor there. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, so I want to get your your parting shots before we go here. Um, Absolutely. So I've already given you my take on Tiger Woods. Golf is officially back. Tiger Woods is back. Um, mm-hmm. My other take. And okay. I, I don't want to repeat this take because I, I, I mentioned it a couple weeks ago, but I think Mourinho will, will definitely be gone by the end of two, 2018. Um, unless, wow. Unless we see a just resurgent Man United. So after you're talking about, just to be clear, you're talking about the calendar year. Calendar year, yeah. By December 31st, 2018, Jose Mourinho will no longer be Manchester United manager. Okay. I mean, that's my take. Wow. <laughs> and okay. if if you go just on today's performance, then it's look it looks pretty good. Okay, um, well, let me give you this. Obviously, it's a long season. Let me give you this scenario, and then you tell me. All right. If Manchester United um, is stable in the Champions League, okay, they're you know they advance into the next round of the round of sixteen, and albeit they're you know Man City and Liverpool say they're the best teams and. Manchester United, they're still in the top four, but they're not contending for the title. Is that enough for him to keep his job? Nope. nope. No. So okay, he has to well, contend if you put it, for a league. If you put it that way, I think they it's enough for him to keep his job for the rest of the year. But the one unsettling thing is that the reports coming out of uh, Spain, or I believe they're Spain and France. I believe, No, they're just France. Um, that Zinedine Zidane wants to take over at Manchester United after, wow. after the season. Okay. So... I don't know how much stock you want to put in that, but if I'm Jose Mourinho and my team is still kind of, kind of struggling and struggling for consistency and, and for results, I'm looking over my shoulder like, this guy just won three back three Champions Leagues in a row with Real Madrid, and he wants my job. Uh, I don't know how to feel about that. Wow. So, I don't know. I still think Mourinho is uh, is not in a great he's, – he's on the hot seat. You know, he's been on the, the hottest of hot seats – uh, okay. Since the start of the season, really since okay. the preseason, if you ask me. Yeah, and you know he he made those comments about Manchester City being classless, like geez. Yeah, there, yeah. there's just a lot going on with Mourinho, and yeah. it, it it it'll be probably best if they if they take off, uh, if they part ways by the end of 2018. But that's my take on on. Yeah. Okay. Mourinho, so. 
So I'll just give you my my quick ones, and I promise I'll I'll keep them. The first ones will be medium, but the, they'll be quick. Okay. In, in submission, but Let's hear number one, uh, I do have to uh, comment on my friend Giuseppe Ragusa. Wanted me to, to quickly mention uh, <laughs> how does he wanted to talk about? We were watching the Juventus games together. Um, how does um, Ronaldo make Juventus better? And what do you think about him adapting to the new role? I'll just give you my take from watching the game. Um, I do think that. Um, it's definitely solvable. Um, I, the one takeaway that I, w- I would give away from the game yesterday was that they started in a 4-2-3-1 with Ronaldo by himself up top, and that just didn't seem to be working because Kiev Verona packed it in. And Ronaldo, he can, for Portugal, he can be the lone striker on the team. Um, he is good around the box, and he can kind of just drop a little bit underneath close to the box and shoot. But he really wasn't getting a lot of touches until he was mo- – um, in, unless he dropped back to get the ball pretty deep, and then he could still run and shoot. I guess my biggest takeaway was they were much more effective when they inserted Mandzukic in the game. Um, they He roamed the box, and he replaced Quadrado, and Ronaldo kind of dropped underneath the kind of the wing, and he interchanged with Dybala and was underneath. That's the one takeaway that I have from that game yesterday. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, well, I, I have to watch the the game I wasn't able to catch it mm-hmm. um, so I have to see what the results look like for for Juventus but it, it just I don't know from from the statistics I've seen it seems like Ronaldo's going to take some time to settle into Juventus but we obviously don't doubt his quality we don't doubt who he is as a player so mm-hmm. I think they'll I mean it's it's Serie A and, and this is no disrespect to other teams in Serie A but it's just not the same quality as it used to be AC sure. Milan is, is a shadow of itself as is Inter uh, no one knows what's going on with Napoli especially after Sarri left um, and mm-hmm. You know, it's it's Juventus is it's it's kind of like the Bundesliga and P and the uh, and Liga in France. It's it's Bayern's league in Germany. It's Fra- PSG's league in France, and it's um, it's Juventus's league in Italy. I mean, you could say it's also it's also Manchester City's league in England for for mm-hmm. the taking, uh, or or theirs to lose. Um, yeah, we haven't seen any weaknesses. Uh, uh, you know, we highlighted maybe a couple potential weaknesses, but you know, it, it's it's very hypercritical and it's very hard to get right when you have a team that good sure i guess my quick you know my my summation with that is i think ronaldo's gonna have to it's gonna take time for him to adjust to his role but even though he didn't score yesterday he looked really good he could have scored a couple times uh Kievo's goalkeeper actually made a per, couple pretty good saves he looks he just looks really sharp on and i yeah. think that he's he's i don't want to say he's gonna win the ballon d'or but i i do think that He's going to hit the ground running, and Juventus could really be well, um, do well. Um, they've got Peducci back too. Yeah, I so. think that I think that change of scenery helped him a lot. Um, I think there's a uh, there's a situation where he is there. There's not a situation where he's not motivated. Um, he always wants to get better, and I think he this he wanted this new challenge. He wanted to um, take something on and you know a player of his his physical stature his accomplishments is always going to succeed uh, especially in a league like Juventus where the competition is as strong mm-hmm. as it has been in years past so mm-hmm. you know, I, I don't I don't expect him to have a poor season I, I expect him to, to do yeah. what he's been doing in 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 Spain I want to quickly say that that it's it's great we get to we get to be fans of the sport when both Messi and Ronaldo are still are playing near the prime of their, I mean, they're both past the prime of their careers, but they're oh. still at such a high level that we get to enjoy it. You, so, ha- you have to appreciate last. that. You exactly. have to appreciate that. So here are my two hot takes, I guess, hard right. takes. They both 
relate to soccer. Okay. So number one, um, I know it's early, but just from what I've seen, Owen, in terms of the relegation battle this year, I think that there's a there's four teams that really think could go down. Or I, I don't even want to say could. I'll give you the caveat, but I'm really worried about Huddersfield Town, number one. Yeah. And all three promoted teams. You know, like, first of all, Fulham has really, they have some attacking, you know, they, Cessinho um, and um, Mitrovic and um, Zamara and um, Sarah, they have some good attacking players, Owen, but they look really weak on defense. Cardiff City, I haven't gotten a chance to watch them, unfortunately, but the pundits say are really lacking quality. And um, Wolves, I mean, I know it's only a couple games, and they did tie Everton, but they did lose to Leicester. And um, I'm just looking at the rest of the league, right, or the other teams that you think could be contending, right? And you're just looking at, okay, Palace won their first game. Um, Bournemouth looks pretty good. West Ham is really improved. Um, Brighton beat Manchester United. So also, even though Wolves look really good, I'm just looking at the table, and those four teams, like it doesn't, there's no, those four teams to me, four teams to me seem primed like the weakest teams at the moment. Um, Newcastle, sure, like they, they do look weak, but A, Rafa is such a good manager, and I love Kennedy. I think he's really good. I, I just think I, you can't bet against a Rafa team. So I think that there's a chance, Owen, and this sounds crazy, and I could be completely wrong, but that we could see all three promoted teams be relegated. Yeah, no, they, they have to figure some stuff out really quickly. Um, on the subject of Huddersfield, uh, I think last season we didn't expect them to stay up, but they surprised mm-hmm. us. Um, I don't know if that surprise is still going to be here this year. I think they'll have a lot of work to do, but um, you know, David Wagner, obviously a very good coach, keeping them in mm-hmm. last season. We'll see if he's able to have that same effect this year, but... Uh, so far, it doesn't look great for the Terriers. Uh, as far as the new th- promoted sides, I think it's it's a question of just adapting their game to the Premier League. I think Wolves look like the least likely to go down in those three. Definitely, definitely. But it's still, it's not looking great. Um, and also just, you know, we didn't mention that, but Newcastle. Um, the ability to keep that team in the, champion, in the Premier League, uh, keep them out of the championship, uh, by Rafa Benitez is just, it's, how, how is he able to do that? Uh, he just mm-hmm. he just is. It's, so I don't know how, but he did. Yeah. <laughs> and um, you know, I wouldn't be surprised to see him stay up this year. But at the same time, seeing them get relegated would not be. It would be uh, sad. It'd be sad, but it wouldn't be you know unexpected yeah. really, just because the the lack of funds that Mike Ashley has really put into sure. The it's just to me, Owen. It's like though with regards, you know, with all this, Owen. It's like Wolves are a pretty good team, Owen. But it's like to me. I, I, I'm going to ask you again after two weeks. Who are your, Name me three teams right now that are going to get relegated. Your three teams. Yeah, we'll have to keep an eye on this one. Um, yeah. I, I think eventually they'll, those three teams will turn it around. I think Cardiff okay. maybe might have might struggle the most of those of the three newly promoted ones to kind of figure it out. But Fulham will figure it out eventually, I think, and, and they'll at least have a better shot at staying up. Um, but Wolves, I'm, I'm actually really encouraged by what I've seen from them. Um, today, obviously, was kind of an aberration. But from what they saw, what they did against Everton, um, obviously Everton down to ten. Um, but just the the atmosphere around the club, it, it's kind of it kind of reminds me of what Brighton had last year. Sure. Um, this kind of you know rejuvenation, being in the top flight again, and you know we'll we'll see. I I think 
um, Nuno Espirito Santo is actually is is not actually, but I think he's a very good coach, mm-hmm. um, and I think he's got a lot to prove. And I think sure. he, he will he will show us some really good stuff. For sure. Okay. And you had one more take, I believe. Yeah. Yes, I do. Uh, last one. I, I just want I just want to get your thoughts on um, Mesut Ozil because he's taking a lot of criticism these first two games, and rightfully so. Because his defensive work rate's so bad. And I guess my whole thing is that, you know, I don't even know if this is even a hot take with the, what people are saying, but I think that he's in a situation where he has to work harder defensively or he'll be out by the end of the year. No, I totally agree. The work rate defensively is just not there for Mosul. Um, he's a world-class player going forward uh, or can be on his day. It's just defensively he can be a liability, and that's not something that Arsenal can kind of afford, especially if they, yep. have, if they press high. Uh, and he doesn't track back defensively. Uh, people talking about him at the World Cup being kind of the, one of the reasons Germany didn't make it out of the group stage. But I can, you know, I can talk about Germany in the World Cup for a good hour, as I did sure. <laughs> you know, when we had our, our knockout rounds preview on why they didn't, yep. why they didn't make it past the group stage. So I'll hold off on that. But I, I, you know, I agree with the criticism. I think some of it might be a little harsh at times. I think you have to look at Mesut Ozil. Um, in, in two ways, you have to look at what he gives you going forward and what he gives you defensively, and I think you have to mm-hmm. kind of take take it for what it is. If you are Unai Emery, I think you you do need to have a conversation with him and say, hey, we, we really believe in your ability going forward. We really believe in your ability on the ball, but we need you to put in a big a, put in a shift. We need you to you know really work for the team. Um, it, we understand that he's the highest paid player at the club. He now wears the number ten that was occupied by Jack Wilshire for so long. Um, and you know, obviously, the number ten is a number really coded by attacking footballers. So, you know, it's it's just a conversation that needs to be had. Like, we we need the best out of you if we're going to go anywhere. And you know, we have ambitions to to finish in the top four, maybe make a challenge for the league at some point. Maybe not this year, but in the in the coming years. And we need you to be on board with that. And it depends on on what he wants to do. But I, I think he rightly is getting some of the criticism. And until he find a he kind of turns around his his defensive work rate. He he could be he could be gone by the end of the he year. Could. He could be he could be just benched. It's um, just they don't want to yeah. do that because he's he's pocketing three hundred thousand pounds a week, and uh, that's a lot of player. That's a lot of money for a bench warmer. So he's yeah, ha- he'd have to be one of the first names in the team sheet, but only if he brings both sure. uh, both sides of the ball. <laughs> and it's just that you know with his comments about Germany and now this. It's just that he's coming under a lot of fire, and um, I don't know. I, yeah, I, I just think this is a situation where we're looking at a player where it's like, you know, it's a changing arsenal, and it's it's just we're looking at a player that can be so great but so poor at the same time. So, yeah, yeah that's my take. Yeah, well, I'm definitely with you there. There's there's a lot that needs to happen uh, for Mesut Ozil and, and Arsenal. Yep, but that's Absolutely. a pretty good that's a pretty good place for us to to wrap up this show. Um, we've we spent a lot of time talking talking Premier League football, Premier League soccer, um, and rightfully so, just because it is you know for both of us the most entertaining league in the world. Um, you know we're both fans of of teams within the league, so that's why we give the Premier League so much love. But if you want to hear us talk about say La Liga or the Bundesliga, uh, then you know feel free to let us know. Obviously, your social media will be down in the description of this podcast wherever you're listening to it. Uh, and be sure to tune in every Friday, Thursday night, Friday morning. Uh, we try to get these shows regularly. We are hoping to have uh, 
a guest on this week, but that fell through. So hopefully in the coming weeks or so, we'll have him on the show and be able to deliver some really good content, uh, some good interviews and get some good insight from fans and people from other industries. But that'll do it for us here from Hot Takes Only. Um, Get in touch with us. Let us know what you think about the show. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. We're working on distributing this play, this podcast in as many places as possible and always promote it. If you really like what we do, uh, let us know and tell your friends about it because we're always looking to to grow, uh, to grow this conversation and, and talk about things that we really enjoy um, as a nice distraction. So, uh, Willie, any last-second thoughts before we sign off? Oh, uh I will take Mourinho back at Chelsea if sorry leaves. <laughs> I don't know if you'd want him for a third spell, especially what happens, uh, what's been happening so far this season. I I thought I forgot who I said that to, and they just laughed at me. <laughs> I, I, I think I would laugh at you too. <laughs> yep. Uh, well, thank you all for listening. For Willie, uh, I'm Owen. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we will see you next time. <laughs>